Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey, greetings, guys. Welcome back to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. We've got a really fun one for you today. But as always, from Boston, Massachusetts, this is Scott. And from San Pedro, California, this is Jim. And coming back to our Monster Mash, we've got a trifecta going on. We've got one in the books with House of Dracula. And we promised the Baron of Positivity, the lead singer <laughs> and bassist of the band, does is a Mars guitarist of the band Rise from Fire. And our good bro over at uh, Castle of Power podcast, Mr. Tony Salvaggio. Welcome. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me back. I love yeah. this Monster Rally movie. So this is this is good. Great. Yeah, I'm we, ready. I'm ready to talk about cool, cool movies. Yeah, we, we made a promise time. to Tony. We made a promise to Tony. Like the, if we do the monster mashes, usually the three, it's Frankenstein and Wolfman and the two house movies. So we had to get get, get Tony back here. So we're doing them certainly out of order, but um not going to take anything away from this one. So really fun one. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, 1943 film starring, of course, Lon Chaney Jr. as Larry Talbert slash the Wolfman. I guess you have to say that. I guess anyone listening to this podcast would know that. But anyway, spoilers, spoiler alert. Larry Talbert <laughs> is uh, the Wolfman. Um, we're going to cut through the uh, cut through this, the, the starring roles here. We're going to put Bella Lugosi second, although he's only spends like maybe four minutes in this film. But Bella Lugosi as the Frankenstein monster. Um, Iona Maisie as Baroness Elsa Frankenstein, who we actually just saw not too long ago in The Invisible Agent. Um, Patrick Knowles coming back from The Wolfman as Dr. Frank Manuring. Um, of course, one of my favorites, Lionel Atwell as the the gleeful mayor. I'm so happy to see Lionel in a role that he's actually like happy and not doing like nefarious things. Yeah. Kind of fun. It is good. Both of them coming, both him and and uh, Patrick Knowles coming back from previous Wolfman and Frankenstein movies as different characters these times. Very so interesting, right. yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And of course, we can't be can't go without saying um Miss Maria Ospenskaya Yay. is the great, great Maliva the Gypsy. Again, coming back from the Wolfman. So my, my internet crush. She I, I don't blame you. <laughs> Have you seen like young pictures of uh, Maria? She is something to behold. <laughs> she, she is something. <laughs> um so tony bring us bring us to this one here where did you first see this one and does this one kind of hold a near and dear place in your heart or you just like you just like wwe horror movies oh i i don't think i had really seen it i think i'd seen clips um it wasn't until i got the blu-ray set where i could really sit down with with uh all these films um i used to you know universal uh, horror is near near and dear to my heart as people may know from you know our previous episode, but I you know I started watching all of this when I was young. There was a show called Monster Theater uh, when I was growing up in kindergarten, and uh, that was on Saturdays. And I I just really fell in love with this black and white era of films, and for, I think Frankenstein's monster especially. Um, mm-hmm. And then kept kind of going with that thread through like those Marvel storybooks where you know it's Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula kind of thing, right? I don't think I'd seen this particular uh, Mommer Rally movie until I got the Blu-ray set, at least not in, in its entirety. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's interesting. I, 
This one's interesting because it's also fairly nihilistic in a lot of ways. There's a lot of great parts, but um, you know, it follows this through line of curses that we we see in uh, you know the Mummy and you know other movies like that. But really, having a person who just—it's <laughs> weird to have your protagonist say, you know, his his main thrust is, "I want to die." Right? Just, Can you end it? Yeah. And that as his main thrust throughout the movie um, is fascinating. Um, I mean, of course, he would love to have the curse removed instead. But at this point, he's, you know, pretty fatalistic about it. And that's such a different theme, I think, than a lot of, uh, you know, other movies, other contemporary movies of the time. And kind of a bold uh, thing to put in, uh, you know, <laughs> universal yeah. where, you you know, you want your star. Uh, if he succeeds, you no longer have a Wolfman, right? The franchise has ended. Yeah, know that, that we want to do. Yeah, yeah, we we know that there's going to be more Wolfman's, right? You can't end it. But that idea of, uh, you know, your protagonist's search for the end is, is pretty strong. Um, and I'd watched, you know, I'd watched all three uh, before our, you know, our previous episode. But going back to it, it's it's actually a little bit more nuance that i remember and there's kind of more meat on it than i thought and i recognize different things and i think that's that's a sign also of a great movie is on each viewing you kind of see a little another facet um you're watching for a different version of how things play out in your mind I, i think it does that really well yeah yeah for sure it's a different movie every time I watch it a little bit. It's very, it's weird. It's weird like that. And to your point, Tony, it's such a, an interesting contrast where, like you said, you have Talbot who, you know, only wants to die and is a really powerful, you know, one of the lines later on in the movie, it's in, I think it's, you know, Elsa thinks he's mad. He just, he wants to die. And, and, and Maliva comes to his, his kind of his defense and says, well, he's no, he's not mad. He just, he just wants to die. He's, he's had enough. He's tired. And meanwhile, on the on the flip side of the coin, you have the monster, and all he wants is power. He wants, you know, the strength of a hundred men. Um, so it's, it's right. kind of an, an interesting, you know, contrast between that, you know, the quote unquote two major players in but, this in this movie. But even here, I find that that actually, you know, our doctor wants the monster more powerful. But we also kind of have a monster who's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have much <laughs> to say, right? He's not, he's not articulating this. Uh, through speech, but you get the impression that the monster is also almost had enough. See, so, that's what I get too. Also, yeah. there's there's a there's a dichotomy as well when the thrust of the so you have a Frankenstein originally whose sole purpose is to bring life, right? A Prometheus. Here you have if everything had worked out the way uh, you know Talbot wanted it, it it's to bring death. It's uh, assisted suicide is what he's searching for. Absolutely. And yeah. and, and, and by, by discharging the monster as well. So if everything had worked the way, you know, our protagonist wanted it, you would have neither monster would exist. Um, so you have a doctor who's decided to give life once again, um, you know, even though he's not a Frankenstein, he becomes associated with a Frankenstein. Right. Uh, but but we're we have a doctor who is the uh, you know, the ask is to remove life. And it's such an interesting twist on on that. And there's a lot to say. I mean, it's not I don't think it's a perfect movie, but these themes are are pretty fascinating to me. And to put that in a franchise where you're kind of like, hey, look, here's our monster rally. And it's not just monster fights, which is you know what? What eventually like Godzilla movies kind of end up being like, 
once you get to a certain point, it's like monster wrestling. Right. right. Um, and you would think a monster rally would lean in on that. But instead, we get a uh, a very kind of nihilistic tale of a man who's cursed and has, has seen, you know, he's... <laughs> He's also been dead, uh, yeah. uh, technically. He's, he's immortal, as we find out, but uh, r- risen from the grave, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, in a, in a small, and I didn't think about it, but, you know, this is this is the genesis of Altered Beast, right? Rise <laughs> <laughs> from your grave. You know? oh, yeah. We have a werewolf coming from the grave. Like, yeah. wow, okay. I yeah. didn't even, you know, I didn't notice that. Again, I'm watching, as I'm watching the movies again, I'm picking up little, how they influence uh pop culture in a way um so i think it's fascinating yeah though this one here it's I, I agree it's not it's certainly not the strongest of the universal or of horror films of this of the genre but i think it did it it i think it it, it left its mark on on future films if you look at you know the terminator you know things like that but and, you know you always have to love the trope of you know of the doctor who falls under that you know kind of that spell that 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 whatever it is almost like the drug of once he finally sees and we'll get into it but once you know mannering finally comes face to face with the monster and he completely changes right he falls it's almost like a drug that he's on like this and his only quest now is to you know feel that same power that henry frankenstein felt and you know bring life to this thing so there's so much to talk about let's let's i'd love to get into this one so um, assuming you guys know, and you know, when I first heard this, probably as a kid, I was fascinated. And this is, you know, showing my age a little bit before the internet, that there were cuts, there cut dialogues. So the monster had, and it, it wasn't a lot, but he had the monster originally had dialogue in this movie, and it would have explained why, you know, the Bella monster is lurching and the hands are, you know, out in front of him. He because he's blind, right? If you go back and look at the mm-hmm. film right before this, uh, Ghost of Frankenstein, right. which we'll cover at, at some point, there's a brain transfer as a brain um, transplant. So Igor, who's, as we know, is you know Belagosi's character, Igor's brain is placed inside the skull of the monster. And because there's a mismatch of blood type, the Frankenstein-Igor monster goes blind. So I guess- right. Which makes sense now that it's it's Bella Lugosi as the monster. It's almost like it's changed his physiognomy a little bit, maybe or something. Um, I, I believe there's a world where you can you can sell that. Like okay, and I do like that because it does. I mean, it certainly it doesn't look like Lon Chaney. It certainly doesn't look like Boris Karloff. I, I I dig that. You know, you put the brain into this beast, and he starts kind of taking on the physical characteristics of you know of, of Igor. So that absolutely works for me, but. Where this movie falls right. flat, and it's not for the fault of, yeah. I guess you know the director or the actor, or, or you know I think you know Bell is almost sabotaged because of this movie professionally, was because all of the cut lines. And I actually, so I've done a lot of research, and I have the actually the original shooting transcript that I've gone through. So I'm going to try to, as a work, and you know maybe scene by scene, try to inter, interject and not. I'm not going to read verbatim what the monster was saying, but maybe try to call out some of the, the dialogue here. So. Yeah. I hope that I hope that is fairly interesting. Sounds great. Yeah. Jim and I were actually kind of pre-gaming it and I, I one thing I noticed in this and I don't know for sure if it was direct but watching uh this Frankenstein it really did feel like Herman Munster the way he acts and kind of how he gets his point across. I you know it made me wonder like I did Fred Gwynn, like, was he, was this the one that they told him to, to watch? Because, right. it, you know, as opposed to a lot of other um, Frankensteins, because we can, you know, we can see this, this whole range. It, it really did kind of feel like 
huh i wonder there's just certain mannerisms that he had that just felt that way i never that's something else i picked on in this watch i was like huh and I, I'd, I'd be curious if that ever was a kind of direct, like, this is the one I wanted to do because it's kind of offbeat and interesting and it fits the Herman monster character. <laughs> Too funny. And we were talking about Fred, uh, we're talking about, um, uh, uh, I'm blanking, who, who, who plays him in, in the house. Oh, movies. Glenn Strange. Yeah, Glenn Strange. But, you know, you know and, and I think we should get going in the story, but, but I, I think it's an important thing to kind of rest on for just a second is like, you know, that we, Scott, you and I go on and on about Lugosi a lot on the show, and and we're we're huge fans of it. Um, and I don't, I don't ever want to, I don't, want, I want to say the Lugosi is bad as the monster because I don't think he is at all. I do think, I do think there's a problem with casting though, and this goes back to when we're talking about you know in in Frankenstein the original Flory and and Lugosi version that Universal is mounting before they switched over to the whale, the Karloff one, you know. Car- Carlos, I think the thing we love about Carlos' performance of the monster is the subtleties that he brings, the, the subtle human uh, uh, micro expressions that he does that keep reminding us that the monster is a human being, right? That, that uh, maybe artificially created, but he has a soul and he has, a spe- you know, a, a, he has right. feelings and, and emotions and, and feels hurt and pain and loss and joy and everything. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, criticize Lugosi as as someone who didn't wasn't able to do that but Lugosi's performance style was all about kind of big gestures he he was a stage actor yeah, yeah, of yeah. course you know he he does he has very large uh uh, uh indications and, and things physically like that's just how you know the hands and stuff that's what we know Lugosi for 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 Dracula and for all the other great stuff he did um and so what Lugosi has in this movie is this un- unthankful task of having to basically imitate what Karloff started in, in, in right. doing the monster. So what we're not getting is like a Lugosi's idea of what the monster would have been like. We're getting Lugosi sort of having to parrot the way he, he viewed Karloff as doing it. And we see maybe a little bit of the way Lugosi thought about, you know, what the monster, what performing the monster would be like. Mm-hmm. But, but again, he's we lose the idea that the monster is blind in, in losing the dialogue. So he's doing these big, large sweeping arm things, you know, the arms out front that we, we know and, and, and talk about all the time when we, we or think about all the time when we talk about the, the monster. Um, and without the context of knowing he's blind, it does seem a little cartoonish the way, the way he's, he's doing the monster. And I think yeah, that lends less- itself to, to the way Fred Gwynn and the way, you know, the animated versions and Mad Monster Party and stuff started. Right. So I think, I think this is a, a weirdly critical moment where the monster sort of stops becoming this gothic silhouette of a, of a character mm-hmm. and becomes like a pop culture, something that can be easily imitated physically, right? And I think that's essential to his evolution into being a pop culture icon. I agree. I think there's a little, you know, one of the other things you mentioned, the subtlety, I think there is a little less, and possibly this is also goes into direction. Like if you're directed like, hey, you're blind and do these things and interpret yeah. these a certain way, there's a little bit um, less contemplation in a lot of his actions. Yeah. And that subtlety you see in the face that you describe, but there that's part of what made him, I think, more human in our eyes is he you can see this like thinking of what's wrong, what's right, what should I do here? Yeah. Um and because of how it's been directed and you know him playing it blind, which again, you know, we don't know unless we we've seen this, you know, talk about it. Uh there 
there's less of that. Um, yeah. But I think he's given less opportunity to do that. And, you know, that's a shame because, yeah. you know, I love Lugosi and I, of course he can do it, but I think it does also go back to his stage. You know, what, why would I be this character if I can't really just be this character? Here's, yeah. Here's yeah. how it would be. Yeah. He's, like, he's hamstrung in a lot of ways. Well, the thing, I mean, Koloff was just so good at emoting through his eyes. And, right. and I'm sorry, I, I, I mm-hmm. love Bela Lugosi, but he's just, he doesn't quite emote the way that Koloff does. Um, well, we so, don't get to see his eyes for for much of the film, which is exactly robbed of that. I mean, well, what have you? Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. So absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's get right into this. So right. I, I got to I got to say, opening scene here. So we're in um, Langwelly Village. This is the home of um, the Talbot family from the Wolfman, and probably my gosh, maybe one of my favorite scenes of any Universal is this crypt scene. So two grape robbers um, are entering the Talbot family crypt in search of basically money. They know that Larry, or the rumor is around town, around uh, Langwelly Village. Is that Larry Talbot, who was who died around four years ago, was buried with money, jewels, etc. So these poor, you know, destitute grave robbers want to get some bling, basically break into the the to the crypt to rob the grave of Larry Talbot. And should we say they got more than they bargained for? Uh, I'll put this opening scene. I, I'll this opening scene is probably my favorite single scene in any Universal film. It is so perfect. It's so beautiful. The graveyard, the way the way the camera come like cranes down, and you see the crows, and the two you know guys are walking, in. and then it comes around, and then you see Talbot written on the side of the mausoleum. And as the audience, you're like, these guys are making such a mistake. You're, you're we're, we're so ahead of we we know what's going to happen. And again, I talk about this like when you're when you're ahead of the story, and then the story catches up to you, it's so gratifying. You're like, oh, this is going to end so poorly right. for these guys. And they're great robbers, so like, like you feel you can feel sympathy for them because they're just poor and they're trying to, and they're not really hurting anybody really, but they're still doing some wrong. So you just feel like, okay, well, they kind of had it coming too. You get, you get, you get your eggs and your bacon too. Well, that's it. They didn't seem like bad guys. You know, they didn't murder anybody in the street right. for money. They, again, they're literally robbing a grave to, you know, hopefully maybe, maybe feed their family. Maybe they, yeah, I'm going to make up a little, I'm going to make up a little plot for them. I think they they have a starring, a starving family or wife and kids at home and they're just doing whatever they can. But anyways, yeah. Freddie Jolly Jr. or whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah. for Jolly. And yeah, I don't know, Tony, what's, what happened here? I mean, this is like, this is like gothic at its best here. Oh yeah. Well, the, and again, like you said, we know that it's just a doomed idea. Nothing good can come of yeah. this. And, you know, they discover, of course, that, wow, weird. There's all this wolfsbane in here. That's odd. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, the really great quote, uh, you know, they have about even he is pure of heart, which actually, uh, <laughs> the they kind of ape that. One of my favorite bands, Rat Child America, has a song called London After Midnight, and they use that part like a kind of different version of that. I remember you playing that for me in college on tape, Tony, yeah. in like 1997. Yeah, this Rat Child America was cool. They became a Soul to Zero, if I'm mistaken. Hmm. Yeah, but that was, you know, again, horror and metal go to those. Yeah. That's like the peanut butter jelly, you know. <laughs> just, it, that just is. Um, but yeah, just great quotes. And then discover like, oh, wow, he looks like, you know, expected to be bones, right? Yeah. And instead they get a fully intact guy who hasn't decomposed at all, um, who, you know, pops up and that's it for our poor grave robbers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I- 
I love the one guy's accent. Yeah, the one guy's accent when he, yeah. he reads the thing, he says, you know, it's Lawrence Talbot died at the youthful age of 31. R.I.P. Like, it's just so good. Like, <laughs> R.I.P. Um, the other joyful thing is you're you're watching the, the grave robbers slowly realizing how screwed they are. Like we're way ahead of the story, and they're like a second ahead of it. It's, right, it's the a moon. Great... The moon comes up, and you're like, "Oh, here it comes!" And it's such a great camera angle too. It's almost like level with the side of the coffin, and you just see the you see the wolf bane and the darkness of of the coffin, and then just this hand slowly coming up, yeah. coming yeah. up, coming up. I mean, this slow burn with like the claws, those long fingernails, with the long and, nails, right? Yeah, it just grabs yeah. a hand of um, Big Fred Jolly and. It is all, all <laughs> that's such a good reveal, too. He's got me, Where, you know. Yeah, like, oh, that, like that build up is so yeah. amazing. Yeah, then we get we the and then, of course, no honor among thieves because, <laughs> yeah, and the other guy takes off and leaves his buddy. <laughs> it goes through the top of the crypt, in yeah. a similar way he came in. Like, nope, I am not, nothing is worth uh getting werewolfed. Yeah, <laughs> no, so 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 good part of this job. Uh, and we don't, we don't see him as the wolf, though, right? We don't see, we don't see the attack or anything. I mean, it's all implied, it's, it's amazing right from the start. We do, and I know yeah, we see you know some long nails, not even a hairy yeah. hand, so he's an early yeah. transformation. Yeah. And I mean, really, the last scene in the crypt or in this graveyard is the grave robber taking off running down the road and you don't know what the hell's going on mm-hmm. inside this you know is, I, I mean don't don't your fingernails grow after death though too so so are larry's uh, nails growing because he's so, sort of dead so i don't know the um idea i think now is that that was debunked and that your your skin just shrinks back oh okay i'm sure you know what i've heard that i think you know, right. that's that's again what i've heard but um or, or red but uh you know it, it's not as as i think horrifying in that same Way. Yeah, especially when you're a kid and you're like, oh, your fingernails grow. It's he's starting to grow, right? Right. Yeah. And then to turn. also, we don't get you know cool long fingernailed uh, Chinese vampires if that's not true. And exactly, exactly. Wants to live in that world, right? <laughs> Mister Mister Vampire, hopping hopping vampires. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, the the scene just take. We'll get moving on for the rest of the guys, but the, I just love the time this this scene this scene takes in developing itself mm-hmm. and and in a, in a way like that shows a respect for the character for the wolfman for and for for Lawrence Talbot too like it it shows like we're going to take our time and and really do this right we're going to build it up and really like have you go nuts when you finally when it finally happens and stuff it's just wonderful Roy William Neal who directed this who yeah, I think uh Scott he directed I think a ton of the uh the Sherlock Holmes he did I think he, re- he directed He's like good. 11 of the 14 or something so yeah yeah yeah. Coming over right from that, which is and but it's yeah. filmed amazingly. It's it's produced by George Wagner and written by Curtio Max. So they're sort of a returning team from Wolfman from two years before. But here's this new guy who's, as far as I, I looked up on his IMDb, he's kind of new to horror too. I mean, he, this is this wasn't his main bag. He he mostly like again had been doing these these Sherlock Holmes things and stuff. But the thing looks incredible. It's the drama of things and stuff. It's just it's beautiful. But I do think there's that suspense that's held, which is almost like a mystery being revealed, which which works so well and it, it really does save the movie because i mean ultimately the monster is a bit neutered for a number of different reasons just never went yeah. blind and just the, yeah. the act and whatever but so important that the wolfman comes out and this is true i mean this is really almost wolfman this, too right this was called at one point wolfman meets frankenstein 
right? I, I think I've read. And at some point that title was changed because it really is a direct sequel to Wolfman. And you have to wonder what's the, what's universal, you know, what's the, 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 the heads thinking. Cause it's not Lemley at this point. I don't know. I can't remember who it is uh, who's running the show, but um, there's a decision made at some point, like, well, we'll put, not only will we put the monster's name up top, but we're going to call him Frankenstein too. Is this the first case of the monster being referred to as Frankenstein? I don't know. In, in, by, by Universal, at least. But to, to your point, I mean, you know, Cheney is 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 the leading guy. I mean, it's not Kyle sure. anymore. It's not. So to me, yeah, exactly to your point. Why wouldn't they just keep it Wolfman? Wolfman means Frankenstein. Maybe Frankenstein they thought was a more marketable name. You know, because I mean, maybe like, we're I, talking we're talking 80 years ago. So obviously we know the Wolfman is maybe at yeah. the time they just didn't know what they had. Maybe. They didn't know what they had. Frankenstein had been around, you know, 13, 14 years at this point. I, I do think it I do think it flows better. Well, Frankenstein versus Wolfman versus Wolfman. The Wolfman meets Frankenstein. Sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Can we talk about press for a second? Can we talk about the word meets? It's so cause cause they use it again with all the Abin Costello. Abin Costello meets Frankenstein, Abin Costello meets Frankenstein. Meets is such a funny word to be using for what happens in this movie. I know. <laughs> they they do sort of meet in the ice, right? I guess they kind of meet. But, to this day, yeah. I still call it versus. I mean, I I fall in calling it versus all the time. All the time, I post so much shit yeah. on Instagram, and it's always versus. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, hold on, well, man, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> meets meets is so cordial, like, oh, oh, hello, Mister Frankenstein, how are you? Oh, hello, Mister Wolfman, nice <laughs> to see you again. Date, yes. Right? Oh, oh Wolfman brought all his well. drama again, as he does. You know, right. it's so cordial. You're, you're looking well, Mister Tom, but you, yes. you too, Mister Monster. I mean, <laughs> Mister Monster. Is it okay to call you Frankenstein? <laughs> May I call you Frank? Is your, he was your father. Is that okay? Oh well, you know, I. You're looking great. Oh well, I don't age, of course. You know the curse. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> Have you been? No, dead. Much better now. Yeah. Um, I was in a crypt. Uh, it's this, good to be out and about and, and back to dinner. <laughs> this um, is also the first even, time we... You know, Go ahead. But, it, you know, it's interesting, too, because as we meet him, I love the next cut, too, because you almost think, like, oh, well, that's got to be, uh, you know, one of the grave robbers. And, in fact, we have a policeman, you know, finding uh, Talbot. And right. his, his, but his head wound is directly from, you know, the, the werewolf movie. It's just, right. You know, this, that's how that sequel, like this all goes, like once he's out and about, you know, and he has to have what they call major surgery, which, yes, you know, it doesn't quite see, like, doesn't quite line up. I mean, he's got a, the cut, but, you know, the way they describe major surgery, of course, you know, they didn't shave his head or anything. And that's just for, because it's going to look better, right? Yes. You don't need how, how it all really works, right? No. Um, we don't we don't care it's major surgery because his skull has been uh you know yeah, he's been hurt did, so badly yeah. he, he, by his father that's directly John. from the werewolf movie that's right yeah we also learned the sad fate of uh john talbot in this that, that he dies of his father uh claude rains dies of grief just a few years after uh clubbing him to death yeah yeah that's a shame we that's a little bit later actually but yeah that's, that's tough. I mean, that, but again, you know, he has, he's had to live with this, uh, you know, and would he, would it have been easier had he known his, uh, you know, son is immortally cursed? Yeah. Lycanthropy. I, right. I don't right. think he that is. he would like, that would have been better, but it's all, it's all tragic. And that's yeah. the heart of the tragedy of, you know, later on, we, Monster Rally's kind of got thought more of at the Abbott and Costello style of movie. Um, but it's interesting that kind of at the start of this is a you know monster rally that that's based on tragedy instead of comedy. This, this even, first half of it's it's serious know, as a heart attack. Yeah. Comedy. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for, um, for sure they're playing it very straight at first. That's, that's why I I will definitely say that this is sort of two movies to me, and this first half is 
I'll put this up against almost any of the other universals. This is so great. And then it does devolve into a little bit of zaniness, but it's, right. it's all good. So next scene, we are in um, on the streets and we've got a policeman that finds an unconscious body. Turns out to be Mr. Larry Talbert with that really nasty cut on his head, kind of the cut that we were just discussing that happened um, about yeah. four years ago prior by his, his dear departed dad who gave his son a little whack on the head. Um, basically um, transformed from uh, Wolfman to human Larry Talbert and for whatever reason is unconscious laying on the streets of Cardiff, which is, if you don't know, a, a township within England. And this is when we first Wales. met. Oh, true. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. The Welsh guy speaking up. <laughs> I'm talking too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, Len, Len Willie's this, no, this is the first time we, we hear Len Willie called by name. We don't hear it called that, I think, in the Wolfman. In the, no, in not the, at all. It's usually uh, Talbot Village. and um, yeah, so, so now, now it's Len Willie, and then he's taken to Cardiff, which is, I think is the bigger town you know, nearby and stuff. And and he's taken, in, and now his doctor is uh, Patrick Knowles. Yes, he was a um, kind of the, uh, he's love it, or I say that the love triangle um, nemesis from the Wolfman, and now he is the, hopefully, doctor who's going to, reverse his uh lycanthropeness is yeah yeah yes. dr dr frank mannering um is, is it or is it a weird form of, of larry's mental illness that this guy keeps coming up again in his life in his life as different people right <laughs> yeah did, weren't you gwen Collins' boyfriend wait a second like it's part of the curse weird. you can see why he's so confused all the exactly time. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Patrick Knowles is always good in these things. You know, he, he, I know, I think uh, a lot of people know him really good as as, as uh, Will Scarlet in the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. Um, you know, he has this mm-hmm. earnestness that in in uh, although Scott doesn't like him in uh, in Wolfman, Scott thinks he was he was just after uh, his own protecting his own job. But I thought he was a nice guy in in uh, in the Wolfman as, as Gwen Collins' uh, suitor, right? Yeah, I yeah, I'm not totally convinced he was all you know hot and bothered for uh, <laughs> Scott. But... Scott's suspicious. That's me, but you know what? I was going. I, 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 was think, going... That's, I think that's fair, though. I, <laughs> yeah. I thinking back, I I kind of get it. I think I lean more towards jim's view but that's not you know that's not a bad take actually no no, no uh, it, it makes it makes his character I get, more I interesting it. yeah I yeah yeah i want um, him to sit with maliva and get his cards get his like his tower read and get yeah. his his true intentions with poor gwen right. she deserves his- better she deserves a man to take care of her not just some right on but anyway um so so uh he's he's awoken and 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 larry's interviewed by this doctor but he's also interviewed by a uh a, like a police detective, right? Yes, Inspector Owen, who is, um, man, he doesn't have a sense of humor. He's here on the case, and uh, yeah, he's suspicious seen... of him from the start. It's from weird. the start, I know, but um, yeah, he's basically kind of giving him the the once over. So Larry comes um, too, and I, mean, I guess Mannering, um, Doctor Mannering, had kind of expected him to be you know, in a, in a ton of pain or amnesia or something, I mean, literally his skull was, was cracked open right. and Larry wakes up and has no pain and says, he's almost ready to jump out of the bed and, and, and leave, which was kind of puzzling to, to Mannering. So they ask him who he is. And you, you know, always says his name is Larry Talbot from the village of Lanwelly. And, um, <laughs> going back to, they go back to the uh, police inspector Owens, who's just suspicious of everybody. Right, gets on the phone with uh, the Lanwelly police station. If it, you know, could just basically do like a just a you know a double check on you know, do you have anyone in your village by the name of Larry Talbert? We have him here in in the hospital down here in, in Cardiff, and the police 
you know, police inspector on the other line says, well, yeah, we do have a Larry Talbert, but he died you know, four years ago. We wouldn't want him in our hospital now. So now basically, you know, Owen's suspicions of, you know, to have twofolded. Now he just thinks he's an imposter, you know, can't be right, Larry Talbert because right. Larry Talbert's dead. His natural suspicion, which maybe that's just his cop instinct, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to make him a villain yeah. kind of, cause he's, he's, giving Larry a hard time, but really like he's kind of doing his job, I guess. I mean, this, this guy's an, a victim of a violent attack. And just because he's a victim doesn't mean he didn't have something. He wasn't up to something. Yeah, what you know. what kind of run in did you have where somebody's going to split your skull? Right. And right, how do right. you survive that? Like we found, I found you on the streets. So that's that's already no good. Right. He's trying to keep card of this, this nice Welsh, you know, touristy town. Right. And he can't have these. Right. These big strangers uh, uh, waking up in the streets and stuff, right? Yeah, no, 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 no kidding. Um, he has played. He's, he's played by Dennis Hoey, who uh, uh, Scott. We just saw Dennis Hoey in as the also the an inspector in the uh, She Wolf of London. He certainly was. I prefer him in constantly much- in, in constantly investigating werewolves. Yes, it's his thing. And even at that point, he did not believe in werewolves. And uh, right. but always, always really suspicious though. But yeah, he does play that uh, that inspector type very very well so get typecast as you know the yeah. no-nonsense investigator great accent too he's really cockney accent he's awesome i'd be off me top <laughs> sounds like he's in a mary poppins film or something i it seems like dick van dyke imitated right. this guy when he played burt right <laughs> yeah. oh it's a jolly Good holiday tea. with mary i'm doing accents tonight guy sorry future, all right yeah uh, i mean there's there's a future team up for you like, so, I guess they, so to Mannering's yeah. credit, he sees, you know, he sees um, Inspector Rowan get a little, you know, get a little hot. He wants to kind of go after and interrogate Larry Tobit or you're, you know, you're an imposter. Who are you? And Mannering or Mannering doing his doctor duty saying, well, he's not your, you know, he's not your inmate. He's my patient. And I'll, I'll determine, I'll make the call when he can be, um, you know, questioned about this. Yeah. So mannering stand, right stand it up to the popo. Right. That's so mannering right too, from and that's good. That's why the, the kind of heel turn at the end is so kind of I, I agree with Jim that it's kind of feels like two different yeah. movies at some at, at one point. Uh because he's so concerned about his patient. He's so willing to, you know, disbelieve anything bad and 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 also respect that, you know, patient confidentiality and and really work towards that that, you know, when yeah. Yeah, when, when he does they, as things progress, it, it kind of changes. And that that's it is kind of odd considering the way that he comports himself at the beginning yeah. of the yeah. movie. It, it, it makes I mean, it's good storytelling, right? Because it, right, it, it, it brings the end. But as a character arc, it does ring false. And I think that's what we all respond to just a little bit. You're like, hmm. Um, it's it's like Scott says, you can't trust this guy, no matter what character he's playing, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there gonna, you go. It's going to turn on you. He's I mean, he's, a, he's a great doctor. And then, you know, later on in the movie, he's literally traveling across Europe, which maybe his medical practice is, you know, right? taking a little bit of a nosedive. Maybe he just doesn't have the patience that he used to. But yeah, basically traveling around Europe, tailing this guy, you know, out of maybe curiosity. I wish they had played up that a little bit more that maybe there's a little bit more to Dr. Mannering that he was, you know, whatever heard, yeah. took part in, you know, read an, an old Henry Frankenstein, you know, note to something. Like he had something like eating away at him. Like there's a reason he became a doctor. You're right. Uh, he follows him like a thousand mm-hmm. miles. Yeah, man. 
you like leaves his other patients just to go on like this like this journey to follow this guy around he Europe. follows him into europe in the middle of world war ii it's not a great place right we'll get into that more but it's not really central europe is not an awesome place to be in 1943 to be honest I mean, i'm not sure if this is supposedly this is obviously not set in in a contemporary world from the moment it came out in but yeah Anyway, the right away, Patrick Knowles is playing a much more to me, much more likable character than he did in the Wolfman. He's taking care of his patient and which is kind of nice to see. So, but unfortunately, there was another full. There's a lot of full moons in these movies, but yes, whatever. There's another it does full happen moon. rapidly here. I mean, there's, oh, yeah, a bit. I, I mean, it would be boring if it if you just, hey, now we'll wait for the next full moon. Right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, in order to propel the story forward. We do get a lot of them because yeah. also, you know, because we get he breaks out of the crypt. It's a full moon because yes. he's transformed. And then as soon as he recovers, it becomes a full moon. Now, we, so is it, again, has it been a month then? He's been in the hospital so that, for a month. That's very nebulous. Yeah. I mean, Maybe he's been recovering. It kind of has weeks. to be right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but it, but it but, happens. And we have this. Yeah. I'd have to see them all back to back someday. But I this might be my favorite Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman transformation right here in, in the bed on, on, on the oh, pillow. It is really good. It's so well done. And you see, a, you can see a little bit of the dissolves between when his eyes are maybe blinking and, and not and stuff like that. But except for that, it's so flawless and it, it's lit beautifully. Um, you definitely see when he's tossing his head on the pillow back and forth right before the thing happens, you can see the pillow is not moving. So this is the, an example of that plaster pillow they would make for him that had a, like a little seat for his head to keep it perfectly steady. Um, but it's with the mm-hmm. moonlight. It's a great, it's a great transformation. Again, another. I also scene. enjoy his physicality mm. when he's moving around. As the he's monster. terrified, he knows what's about to happen I, now. I think you know, but even even when you know afterwards when he's out and about, like I, I really did enjoy all of the kind of me being an acrobatic monster, yeah, wolf man stuff. All that stuff is great as well. But yeah, yeah it's this transformation this time is, is beautifully shot. Yeah, right, right, Scott. No, he just, he is, I feel like he's playing this being um, Cheney. He's playing this role with such confidence. And again, not that he didn't in The Wolfman, but like I feel like he's he knows exactly who Larry Talbot is as the actor. Um, he yes. plays him so well, even in like the scene, just in, being in the bed and being interrogated by Owens and, and, and mannering that he's like this, you know, like this wounded puppy. And then, you know, fast forward just a few scenes later when he's got, you know, the guy's coming in to put the straitjacket on him. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. a really great act. And it shows like the range that Cheney had. And I, I don't think he had a, you know, he didn't have a ton of tools in his tool belt, but the things yeah. that he did, those highs and the lows, he was fantastic. And at least at this point, he definitely respected, he respected Larry Talbot. Yeah. Like, like he, mm-hmm. he cared about this character and he cared about portraying what this character was, was going through in a way. This, this is, this was his character. He's the only one who's ever played the Wolfman in, in universal movies. I mean, other characters played multiple, you know, Dracula's multiple Frankenstein's and stuff, but he owned this character. And I, I do feel like this is something he was very proud of. And he, he, he cared about making it contiguous and right and, and believable. Yeah, what were you saying, Tony? Yeah, well, uh, what I was saying is that the fatalism that and distress that he has, that's another thing that sells his transformation. God, yeah. When he realizes yeah. that, you know, because he's been working through, you know, being in a waking up in a hospital bed and then now there is this oh no that's right i am actually the wolfman i'm about to do horrible things uh 
against my will in a lot of ways. And that that realization that happens as we lead up to the transformation is also just yeah. brilliant. I, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. And it really yeah. struck home this this viewing. It's um, easy to forget that yeah, in the Wolfman, great. he doesn't know he doesn't know what's about to happen. And now he knows exactly what's about to happen. And like you said, Tony, he's powerless to stop it. So that yeah. that's the the crux of his his torch torment is that he knows what he's about to go do and he can't you know stop it and it's all i mean we talked about it before so i don't want to belabor the, the point here but just how you know autobiographical these parts are for, for cheney i mean talk about a man who's living in torment between you know the drink and um you know kind of letting his personal life his personal health kind of get out of control and you see the same torment in the eyes of Talbert that he's up against something that he cannot control in this Wolfman. Um, and you get to wonder like, where's that fine line of, you know, where does the, the man Cheney stop in this, in the acting and the, or the, you know, the, the fictional character of Talbert begin. Yes. And it, it really makes you wonder like if there's, you know, if there's much of a change there. Yeah. The, the dark side of his own nature, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. We've, again, we, yeah, we've talked about this quite a bit, Scott, but, but it's, and, and Tony, we, we, we went into this when we did uh house of Dracula. Yeah. But that's great. I personally love to, to move on to the next thing. Um, I love seeing the Wolfman in the city. Usually we always see yeah. him in these, in these, you know, moors and swamps and woods and things in, in a lot of the films. I love him bouncing around an alley and stuff like that. It's so incongruous. It's so neat. Yeah. That's, that's so what neat. I was saying. Like, I love yeah. that physicality that yeah. he's jumping around and doing all these things. Yeah. Scott, um, you uh, know, we the, talked the, about, sorry. Uh, no, we, I mean, we talked about last time I had worked on that universal, you know, kid monster game. And that was one of those things where I'd seen, you know, these, these, this is, you know, one of those clips back in the day that I watched to kind of get him running around and, Neat. you know, being a kid werewolf was this kind of stuff. And right, right. I just right. like this, that struck me again this time around. Like this, this alley cat, like this rabbit alley cat, just jumping around, and yeah, and it takes For you right sure. to the kind of the final, that final scene, you know, because that is, you know, the monster is the juggernaut, and the you know the the strength of the Wolfman is that mm-hmm. agility and to be able to you know be you know, his verticality, yeah, climbing up on apparatuses and boxes and whatnot. So yeah, the bounce off the walls. Um, Scott, we know the name of the. Now this is, I think, this is a stunt guy here when he's doing the jumps off of the things in the alley and we know the name of this guy right we've talked about him we do eddie eddie parker Parker. yeah he's so there's there's a couple of reports here so eddie parker was the double of cheney with the wolfman and then gil perkins who is actually probably in the movie more than lagosi is unfortunately um plays the there's the double of the monster so yeah eddie parker we see in i think house of of dracula i believe he plays the part of um dr neiman if memory serves me correctly oh oh, he's neiman's double yeah is that what we're talking about him yeah he was like kind of that again the last scene with neiman's running back to the house and he's jumping over the fences and flipping and i think that's eddie parker oh that's great physical guy i mean it's great and 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 i as i was saying i do like the Mm -hmm. the more bouncy wolf man he's he's great in this because it is it, it is this feral wolfy thing like you get it he wouldn't just stalk around and tiptoe and stuff like that he you know wolves jump off things and pounce i assume and stuff and yeah but anyway him him in this in this scene in, in the alley for some reason this is the stuff i remembered i so i didn't get a chance to just real quick i was introduced to this film first by this is the only crestwood house monster book i owned as a, as a kid and i bought it for the library my local library sold it i had a book sale and they were selling a bunch of stuff and i and this is the one i got and i don't know what happened to it unfortunately because that'd be worth a couple dollars now but um Anyway, but I remember reading the story of this as a kid over and over again and just like how amazing it was. And in the days before um, 
you know, I had, I had, we had access to, to see it on VHS. And so it was years later I saw it on VHS, but, but I remember reading about this in the book and I remember reading these moments where he's running around in the city. And again, it, it gets in back into this, like more like a Jekyll and Hyde thing, these, these, you know, British streets and alleys and things. It's so, it's so evocative. It's great. Bring, almost brings you back to Rue Morgue with uh, Eric mm-hmm. chopping around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, say, for real. Say, uh, Eric furry the shapes, furry, shil- yeah. furry silhouettes. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we've got a, another transformation here, and I guess this is when things really start getting real because, you know, it's not just Cheney killing a, um, you know, a, a vagrant. He kills a policeman. Yeah. So um, escapes mm-hmm. from the the hospital room, tears through the straitjacket with his teeth. We get learn a little bit later on, jumps out the window and kills a policeman, and then the morning after, Manning Manning Doctor Manning comes in and finds. Um, I was just calling Cheney finds Talbert laying on the bed kind of, you know, sideways. He's horizontal with the vertical bed. He's just kind of all disheveled, not really knowing what happened. Mannering thinks he might've just had a, a nightmare or, you know, kind of a restless sleep. And Cheney knows exactly what happened. That That's the other curse of, of Talbot, right? Is that, that he, he has this truth that is so tragic that he's living with and, and no one ever believes him. I mean, no matter what situation is until he gets to like, I guess, House of Dracula, right? Where, where Dr. Nemon's like, oh yeah, I know you're a werewolf. Okay. He, even he thinks he's like kind of in his own mind, right? Um, it, what's funny no with other things, he, he doesn't black out. Like when he becomes the wolf man, he is very much in a conscious state. He just can't yeah. control himself, yeah, yeah. which makes it even more scary. Of course, he remembers it. He's trapped inside this other part of himself. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like it's like when you're watching yourself do something and you feel like you can't, you know, stop it. But um, think so, of like of the course, incredible, it, like the incredible Hulk, like you know, Banner blacks out, like totally. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, does yeah not he, does, he does not know how he woke up in in orange or in uh, pink uh, stretchy pants, right? <laughs> Anywhere all the time. I don't know. I, I have a suspicion though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so so. Obviously, you know, he says, I've, I've killed, I've killed a man and Mannering says, you know, oh, well, you probably just overheard the nurses talking. There was a man killed, but it was far away from here. And you obviously couldn't do it because you're unhealthy. And that's when he, uh, he's like, well, I have something to tell you. And I turn, I'm a wolf and I'm a thing. And here's the thing. And they, yeah. they of course send for the inspector. You should probably talk about this because he's saying I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer. Right. I'm a murderer. Arrest me. He has the scar on my chest. Um, it basically just kind of loses himself. He's so just his desperation hits an all time high um, that they really, the only recourse they have is to call in the orderlies and throw him in a straight jacket because really there's nothing else they can do with him. And, and that's the nobility of, of Talbot. One more, just one more time to, to, to hit on this is, you know, Dr. Jekyll knows he's losing control of Mr. Hyde and, and he's still trying to fix it himself and Dr. Frankenstein knows the, the monster's doing bad things, but he's trying to keep it on the DL until he can figure it out. Talbot instantly is like, no, I'm a murderer. Lock me up. I, you know, he, there, he yeah. there's never any moment where he's trying to get away with this. He's like, no, if you could just put me in a prison, please, for the love of hell. Yeah. And that is his Especially because, you know, he's, he's come from, came from a crypt. Like he knows like, look, okay, it, I am actually immortal now. I realize this, this yeah. is this curse. And, there's no way if I don't have any way that I know of right currently that doesn't lead to me just killing people unless yes. I'm locked up. Yes. And I've got it that, you know, if that's my fate, fine. And it's only when he is able to escape, you know, bites through the, you know, tears up the straight track. And then he says he goes on his quest to, you know, go to Malia. Yeah. Please help me. You know, you're the right. only you're the only person who might be able to help me. 
Yeah, it's an extreme move, but it's his last resort. You know, he's a he's a man who knows he sure. shouldn't be alive. So. I mean, he's trying. You know, the occult now. I mean, he's trying now a, a learned doctor. I mean, he just I get this point as we've said a million times. He's desperate, and I never really thought of that, Tony. But it's so true. Him, you know, becoming conscious from the crypt. He obviously now has this awareness that he may he may never be able to die, which just of course is going to lead to his the sadness in this desperation, you know, he was always taught that, you know, the, uh, I don't say always taught, but I guess the understanding is, you know, get whacked with a silver cane. Remember he gave Sir John that cane understanding that if, you know, if right. he transformed into the wolf man and he attacked Sir John attacked anybody, a whack with that cane would, as it did the Bella werewolf killed the werewolf killed, you know, Bella. But now that he's, you know, still not dead, you know? Yeah. And even if he sucks. doesn't recall, Paul being in the crypt, even, you know, because he's got a little bit of amnesia, but they say, like, we expected this to be a lot worse. Yeah. There is still that you get the impression that he knows he's he has recalled enough to know, oh, this is a forever thing. If I don't get help, uh, either that help can be, you know, please, I, you know, I know your I know your son had this problem. Like, can you can you can we at least have that relationship or barring that? Is there a way? Like, how do I die? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's that's chilling <laughs> to think yeah, about. Yeah. But before we get out of the hospital, um, there's just this moment where where you know he's starting to have a freak out, and um, and he he uh, he decides he's he's leaving. That's it. Um, and they call in the orderlies. Uh, there's this sort of fracas between Lon Junior and and these three orderly guys. That is it, me guys, or do you, it doesn't feel like that scene was totally choreographed out. I I feel like. Laundry was like, just let's just go for it, right? Because yeah. he tosses these guys around. Oh man, <laughs> I mean, but it La- kind of works. It's yeah, you know, it's messy. Yeah, I mean, them trying to you know, here's a struggling you know near yeah. wolf man, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So he doesn't have the same wolf strength, but he still maybe has a little bit of it. You know, yeah, this yeah. is a powerful guy regardless. Yeah. Um, but that was always kind of um, a kind of mayhem, I think, actually worked pretty well. It sounded like Cheney was kind of like that off, you know, behind the scenes that he right. was a guy that would just run up to somebody, just pick you, you know, pick you up or, you know, very physical. You know, he loved that physicality. Um, yeah. So I'm with you, Jim. I mean, that orderly that like hits the ground, man, that's <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a thun and a half. I don't know if these guys were stuntmen or not, because, I, you know, th- yeah, the, I think this is the kind of a thing. Lawn changing or actually quite enjoyed was just a little roughhousing, right? And and you know, when <laughs> right. some of the westerns and stuff he did, oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I like the idea that like as the wolfman, of course, Lawrence Talbot is a very dangerous when he's transformed into the wolf, is he's incredibly dangerous. But Lawrence Talbert as a guy is not necessarily someone you want to tangle with either. He he himself is a little right. formidable. Um Lon Chaney Jr.'s go-to, I, I've never realized until I just watched this film again, as we've, we've been saying every time you discover something new, his go-to is the thing where he grabs the guy by the collar and kind of pulls him in, right? He does it to the inspector right here. I think he does it to, yeah. to, to, to the innkeeper. He does it. To the, I mean, it's, it's sort of his go-to move, and you can see him going like, then blocking out the scene, and Chaney Jr.'s like, what if I just grab the guy by the collar and yank him close kind of a thing? It was yeah, like son of, signature move, right? Yeah. Son of Dracula. He does that. It's, it's true, Jim. <laughs> it's, it's his yeah. go-to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, it gives it, a, it gives it, it's a good opportunity for a close-up if you want that. And then yeah. B, you kind of, you know, it's a classic move. You also want to pull somebody and then bop them in the nose. Right? Yeah. Shoves <laughs> them away or something. Yeah. Like street, yeah. street kind of fighter. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So and that's that, our drinking game. Every time, every time Cheney does that, do a guy, do a shot. 
Yeah. So like Hulk Hulk Hogan had the big leg drop and Cheney's got like the 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 hands on the cuff and pull you right in and Iron Sheik had the camel clutch, right? The camel clutch. Exactly. Macho man elbow off the top. So I mean if you have six foot three, I guess what you want to do is pull people as close to you as you can and just look down on them like little children. And that's probably enough to just, you know, take any starch out of them. But Yeah, he, so he goes through yes. these orderlies. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, Talbot is taken away. And um, I guess the first mention of uh, lycanthrope is used in the morning so in, in this movie. So Mannering is kind of is, you know, I guess he's a believer now. So Mannering and Owen kind of has a they have a meeting in Mannering's office. And he says he's a lycanthrope. And Owen doesn't have any idea what that is, and basically explains him. He thinks, but well, but it's not in the same way. Like he's he's trying to he's approaching it scientifically. So he's like, well, it's a person who believes this, right? You know, even he isn't yet convinced. Like, oh, this guy turns into a wolf. He's like, you know, I gotta, and that's again, I, I what I like about his early, uh, especially early on, is he's like, look, this guy has a lot of problems. He thinks he's a wolf, and yeah. the inspector's kind of like, well. I don't care if he thinks he's a wolf or whatever, but he can't run around and do this stuff. <laughs> this is and not an excuse. I hope not a murderer, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, this even the doctor is able to admit, like, okay, well, there's not a. I don't think he's that far. Like this, there's no supernatural bent. But here's this thing that happens, and we should be aware of that. I think I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah no, it's yeah. a great, it's a great point, Tony. And I think so. At least with the scene here, I think the seed is at least planted that the word lycanthrope is being used. And it's not until the next scene, which we can get there, that the physical evidence is presented to Mannering to say, okay, now, now this is this is real. Yeah. See, this is actual two things we're talking about. Um, this, this I, I made a note about this because I, I ended up having to look it up for myself, which seems like something I should know. But, um. Th- if you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the definition of lycanthropy is a mental disorder in which a patient believes that he or she is a wolf or some other non-human animal. So it it is it is sort of a right. medical diagnosis. So what Mannering is saying is correct. Um, I think we tend to use it interchangeably for a belief, you know, a mental disorder, and then also for an actual physical affliction, right? Or, you know, it, the, the supernatural. Right. I, I think. I mean, we would case. We would do both. the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we, and I didn't mean to interrupt. But we would do the same thing. We, if right now you saw so, oh, you know, there. I mean, maybe horror kids would go that. That I don't know. Maybe that person is a werewolf, right? <laughs> I've seen enough movies, but but when we know that when we're in on it, watching the movie. Of course. We know that it's the supernatural version of this, but it does make a lot of sense that the medical diagnosis would be, man, this, you know, this poor soul has, uh, you know, physical and mental issues. And how do we help him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that that says a lot about I mean, he could have just written him off. Like, oh, this is this person's not well. Uh, but there's actually uh, the, the way he he comports himself as a doctor. He's like, I'm very concerned about this person, you know, even from the get go. I mean, that's. That's pretty strong considering yeah. he doesn't really, you know, other than we know he's known him from other movies. Right. <laughs> this past movie, life memory. In this movie, he's like, he really, he really does care for this patient in a way that, it, you know, is, is, is a quick bond. Um, yeah. Which says to a lot where I guess, he's about gonna, his bedside go manner. The... We hope that this, uh, yeah. yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah. So he's like, I got to investigate this. Let's, let's go for broke. Let's go to the crypt and let's see what his story checks out. And maybe that'll help us, you know, 
we can have something we can explain to him or something. But unfortunately, it, instead of instead of solving the riddle of what's wrong with Larry Talbot mentally, it actually sort of proves that there is something else. And 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 while they're away up at Len Willie Village, uh, uh, Mannering and, and the inspector, they get a call, uh, or they call he calls back to the to the Cardiff. Uh, sanitary or whatever, and they're like, "Oh no, no, uh, he's gone. Uh, 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 Talbot's taken a powder, and he's he's left the hospital." Right. In the ex, the the question obviously is, "Well, how the hell did he get out of the hospital? He was in a straitjacket, blah blah blah." He well, he ripped through it with his teeth, and this is when we have the great and Jim. You got to do this one with the best Cockney accent <laughs> with, with his teeth. Like there, no, there's a great, I, uh, uh, yeah. The inspector has these great lines where it's like, I, and I was, I think I remember it wrong, but I remember the phrase like bit through a straight jacket, bit right through a straight jacket. Like I, I, I like the description, the description's better than if they'd actually filmed a scene where, where Launchy is having to like kind of bite at his, I, I feel like that might've come off yeah. comical. The, the evocation of it is just like, Ooh. Um, but they also get this, the, the, the local police show him a picture of Lawrence Talbot. And they're like, well, I think that's the same guy. I'm, I'm, I couldn't be. It must be a bad picture of him or something. I don't know. I know. I mean, it, it wasn't even that long ago. I mean, he'd only died maybe four or five years ago. So, right. I mean, Tom, it's not looking that bad. Yeah, he's a little bump on the noggins. Yeah. He's a little disheveled, but I mean, it's clearly him. But anyway, he tore through the straight jacket with his teeth. With his teeth. And yeah. here we go. So now Mannering is, uh, you know, God, you can see his, you know, maybe his curiosity really peaking now that he's got a. He's got kind of a freak show on his hands, and these yeah. these other patients are probably seem rather boring now. He he does believe, I think uh, he obviously believes now because we, we he talks about when he shows up in Viseria later on in the film that that regardless of what mental condition Talbot does or doesn't have, he is dangerous and he he does kill people. So I think that is he feels this responsibility as his doctor that he he let him escape, and he's like, okay, well now. So I guess that explains his mission to to follow him, which is pretty extreme, but yeah, certainly is. So um, so fast forward just a bit. So next scene, we're in the uh, gypsy camp. We get to meet Maliva for the first time. So it's Talbert. Um, walking around looking for Maliva, who, if you had seen the Wolfman, she was the mother of um, Bela, who was her son, who was the Wolfman that bit Talbert, ultimately turning him into a werewolf. So basically, he need, he's looking for anybody that understands that he doesn't believe um, Mannering understands or you know believes him or mm-hmm. you know, certainly not Owens. So the one person on this planet that really, truly understands and believes him is Maliva. So now he's kind of on a quest to seek her out and, you know, wants her, wants her to guide him to death, basically. Yeah. You know, you agree to, you know, you watched over your son. That's all I want. You know, that's all I want from you is to just watch over me and allow me to die. Yeah. He he says you watch over your son, Bela, until he was permitted to die. He uses the word permitted to die, which is or the phrase permitted to die, which and is interesting. Really m- m- murdered, almost killed. I mean, right. he was... <laughs> you watch over your son yeah. until I clubbed him to death with a stick. <laughs> I mean, it's really what he's saying. I think right. he's trying to be careful. Like, all right. Um, in her re- it, what's it interesting in her in her response was, I can't. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. like, I want you to, ple- you know, show me how to die. And she said, oh, I can't. And maybe I'm just trying to, I'm being a wordsmith here, but you know, why not? Like why? I mean, she would obviously may- maybe because to your point, Tony, because you know, the, the silver handle club didn't kill him. Maybe she just doesn't know. She doesn't know how, he t- how he can die. I think, yeah. I think I read it also as I can't go through that again. Yeah. Mm. How many times am I asked? Interesting. Because this is a woman who's, if her son 
was afflicted, someone else had to lead to that. It could have also been in the camp. So right. I also took it, I took it more of, I, it, well, also he's an outsider, right? So he's True. got two strikes. I think, I think also, I can't help an outsider in the way I would my son. And also I can't go through that again. Like that was, that was just over the top. Like that was too much. Right. Uh, I can't watch somebody else do this. I can't, also, I can't be burdened if something happens and you go out and kill uh, because wow. he's most likely if he was there, he would he would also kill somebody in the camp or I like Tony's um, take on this. What That's if a... he it, people knew he was there, but then he went out in the, another village and killed somebody that leads back to their safety to mm-hmm. the who, uh, you know, her camp safety. Wow. So there, there's multiple reasons. But I really do think that the deep sadness of it is that's the takeaway I got. But uh, I mean, that's the beauty of the film. Right. Is you can interpret it multiple right, ways. Of course. I, no, that's a I, wonderful. I get it. That was my collection of things in my head. That's a wonderful take, Tony. Uh, absolutely. That's a, that's a really nice take. Does Maria Spinskaya look better in this film than she did in Wolfman? Like her skin's better. Like did, it's like she got Botox or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying maybe they're lighting her a little better than they did. She was very craggy faced in well, the Wolfman. Not, and here we are not, two years later. She's quite smooth. She's not babysitting a Wolfman anymore. Her son's maybe. dead. She's been like living. She's been yeah, living. Exactly. I was going to say like that burden. Maybe that's the other reason. It's like, look, you see how much more craggy I was. When I had a <laughs> it's it's hell on my skin. <laughs> I just got Botox. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that again. Yeah. I mean, can barely, I can barely smile <laughs> for Christ's sake. Me now. Um, uh, I, I swear Universal just went back and got Lonchini Jr.'s wardrobe from Of Mice and Men and 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 brought it for for these <laughs> scenes where because he's got the the sort of wide brimmed hat and the slightly more Western looking clothes and stuff. I I swear totally. they just went back and got his old outfit and totally. brought it out for him. <laughs> it's really. I thought the same. I thought the same thing. It's like the carriage ride with Maliva. He looks right out of my, Mice and Men. Uh, yeah, but it's a great change because then when he shows up later in the suit and stuff like that, it's a great contrast. So I think it's a well set up thing. Um, I love this carriage ride montage. I, I, I do like their kind of their yeah. I like their road trip. It they go through <laughs> they go through rear screen projections, map paintings, trip. models. It, it's a huge trip. It's a, you feel like it's so funny. Yeah. So Talbot and Maliva on a a road trip. As we mentioned, so Maliva has something kind of in her back pocket, a way or somebody that she thinks can help Larry. And of course, we come to find out that in her mind, she's thinking of Dr. Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. And this so I've had, a you know, the last few months have had, you know, back and forth debates with people on Instagram with, you know, who is this Frankenstein family? I mean, obviously, we know it's Henry Frankenstein. We've got Wolf Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, you know, the ghost of Frankenstein, Frankenstein's so, Ludwig, right? We got Ludwig Frankenstein from yeah. Ghost. So who, who are we visiting here? What's your take? I lean towards Ludwig. I think it's Ludwig because yeah. just because that's the last iteration. So that would be the last regional area they were in. And again, you have that Bela Lugosi voice. If you're assuming that there was a version of this film that Bela Lugosi did the voice for it, then it makes sense that that's the one that happened in in Ludwig's laboratory, thanks thanks to Lionel Atwell's character. Yeah, exactly right. And it would be the last one too, because we still we have a, a monster trapped in the basement. Right. So there's continuity right. there. Yeah, that's so right. It would, you know, I I would think it would be, you know, that that version of right. But you get the impression that the... the reason she knows this though is because uh, perhaps another camp or she, you know, travels. You know, hey, we've heard of this this guy. Did you hear what happened over at this area? 
Yeah. And and that that's how she would kind of have this knowledge. But I, that that's kind of my head canon anyway. It would make sense that I've heard tales of this, you know, what happened. And if anybody can can could maybe could solve it, it would be this doctor who's kind of legendary, but also kind of infamous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it it's not mentioned where Ludwig's place is in Ghost of Frankenstein, is it? Because because the monster and and so at the end after end of end of Son of Frankenstein, monster goes into the the sulfur pit. Uh, Igor gets him out of that, and they go on that kind of road trip, and then they get to this village and they find Ludwig von Frankenstein. But I just don't know if that's. I think it's it's I think it's it's pronounced Viseria. This one's Viseria. I think Viseria, it's the same. So they change it slightly. Okay, slightly. Mm-hmm. It's like a VI versus a VA. But yeah, and I th- everything you're saying I think is true. And the daughter's the daughter's name is Elsa. So of course, Evelyn Anchors in, in Ghost was Elsa Frankenstein. And in, in this film here, obviously, it's, it's I don't know, Maisie. And I think the idea was they didn't want to have Talbert with oh, right. multiple love interests and in, in multiple movies. So they recast Anchors with, with Maisie. Right. Because if you see him paired up with Anchors again, now it's now it's almost too much. Now it's right. that you're, you're, that memory of those two together is too there's no way Talbot doesn't go like, hey, hang on. <laughs> you well, look a I lot w- like a girl. Yeah. Right. No, I saw him make it like later Dracula. Like, oh, we're throughout time. We're together. Right. Right. <laughs> it's just, that's too much. It's not, this is not the time or place for that. Yeah. Uh, according to <laughs> yeah. the people who made the, the this film. Makes sense. I buy it. The road trip in the carriage going to Viseria to look for the family or to look actually for Ludwig or Ludwig. Frankenstein, who um, we later learned is dead. So they pull up into the um, the village of Viseria and go into this this bar, which looked like a kind of happening place run by proprietor um, Varzik, who's just this big barred belly. Um, I mean, talk about a grump, kind of like Atwell's cousin or something. Like just yeah, right. Yeah, this made he's sort there. of playing the Atwell character. Yeah, but but yeah, no, it's <laughs> it, it's an interesting thing. Um, they come in and 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 notably his I, I've heard her credited as the innkeeper's daughter or just the barmaid. Very pretty girl is lighting the the chandelier, you know, thing. Uh, uh, and 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 Talbot has a moment where he really looks at her too, like like they make eye contact, and it's it's, it's interesting considering what happens to her immediately after this. I know what was that all about? Like he, well, he, I, I, she, he came in that bar and they were just locked, like yeah. almost like she was like scared of him, or he was. It was like he was. It's. It's that, but it's also sort of a weird magnetic thing too. I think, and I, yeah. I, I mean, to, if if I had to, you know, editorialize, I say it's the Wolfman inside him seeing it, his next victim. Mm. He oh, doesn't yeah. see the pentagram in your palm, the- but he he basically <laughs> smells prey. I guess I don't know. Like it's yeah. also foreshadowing. You know, it's the power of foreshadowing, right? Like there's right. something, right. there's yeah. a connection there, and it in a normal circumstance, it might be uh, you know different, but in this case, it's it's a mixture of different things and i think you know as as gruff and just like what are you people doing here as the you know proprietor is also maybe he's picking up on that you know yeah yeah maybe so there, part of the this- but we don't want your kind here but also like i i see a lot like something's yeah, off there's a few things happening right. here yeah um but he points out uh the ruins of the franken uh, frankenstein's laboratory to them uh which is this neat like model of a castle that's underneath a dam which is going to factor in quite heavily at the end of the movie so there's again uh you're you're talking about foreshadowing tony yeah there's a lot happening here 
Um, and it's also setting up the main. Now, what I will say is the the film's main villain, right? Is is Vasek? It's it's the innkeeper. He's the villain of the the film, practically. I mean, mm-hmm. you could say like um, Larry's, of course, cursed with this wolf thing, and he's he's trying to do it. But he is a he is a flawed hero. The monster is sort of just a victim of circumstance in this. The real, if there's one thing I love about this movie, it shows that the most dangerous thing of anything going on in the, within this film is the mob mentality that Vasek can kick up at, at a moment's notice this mm-hmm. this weird paranoid xenophobic troublemaker right all right i'll yeah. jump in I, absolutely yeah i mean and and if, of all people to understand you know vazik's you know what he's doing it's lionel atwell the mayor who's notoriously playing that role in pretty much every other movie we see him in he's like the you know kind of the the not quite the you know good enough to be like the head doctor. He's kind of like the assistant who's kind of got a chip on his shoulder. And and this is Vasek. He's kind of like you know runs runs the speakeasy or runs his bar yeah. in the town, but knows everybody. And he's like the town crier. He's the town gossip. And like you said, knows every you know and knows every foot that walks by up and down these streets here. And he's I think he's very protective of his little town here. And what I didn't really I, I didn't really get with this movie is that there's a lot of hatred i mean from vazik to ludwig i think it's more of just the frankenstein name it's not right you know personally ludwig but even fast forward when elsa's talking about her dad and he's like the the atrocities my dad committed and it's like it's almost like she's speaking of henry frankenstein not Mm -hmm. ludwig who really i mean on paper yeah he did bring this you know, creature back to life, but it was more of, you know, Atwell's wrongdoing. Yes. Yeah. So yes, it seems like there's also- a lot of hatred for this Ludwig character. And maybe he's, you know, he just, he was cursed with the name of Frankenstein, which, you know, I'm sure Wolf, Wolf could attest to that. Sins of the father, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, there's a moment where, you know, they're, they're already leaving. He tells them to get out and they're leaving. And, and Vasek, you know, tries to grab Larry Talbot by the arm and like escort him out. And Larry, he doesn't do the, he doesn't fully do the grab him by the collar and pull him forward move, but he knocks the beer out of his hands. He's like, let me go. And, like that. and I just, I just want to say, I, I think, I think that was warranted. I think this guy is very rude to his customers and I think he deserved it have his arms backed away. I think Larry was justified in that. They're very disappointed by this news. This is really, I mean, they came a long way for, for Uh this. And, and obviously this is a big setback and, and they're about to have a bigger setback in that they've somehow both forgotten that it's the full moon tonight. It's another full moon, man. In Universal Land, it's full moon, like for like 20 days out of the month. These these 11, 11 day months. Right. And like you said, yeah. So again, you Tony, do you want to take time when you're on a road trip, right? With, uh, your take buddy. us on this. Take take us on this next little road trip, Tony. They're leaving. They're leaving Vasek's uh, bar here, and something, something, some stuff goes down here. Oh yeah, well, I mean, we get you know, there's a murder. There's also a chase. Uh, you know, the the whole crowd gets whipped up. You know, but, um, once they discover, you know, there's you know they, that whole procession where they're carrying the body as well is just. Uh. Right out of Frankenstein. So well done. Yeah. So right out of Frankenstein. Yeah. 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 And he's carrying the barmaid slash his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's yeah. So he's I mean he tra- he tra- he transforms. I mean obviously he he jumps off the carriage with Maliva, knowing he's going to transform, yeah. and she's just sitting and watching. And he never turns to attack her. I mean now he's on full on Wolfman. It's interesting. But yeah, he must have already sensed who his prey is. To your, to you guys' point, and just runs off and must now he's you know stalking this 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 barmaid i guess yeah. this is a very good transformation yeah. too where he's leaning up against the tree this one's also excellent oh yeah that's that's really fantastic but yeah you know he, 
he leaves and she begs him to stay. But I mean, she but she also knows like there was she couldn't really control her own son in that way. I mean, especially there's no way she can she can't overpower him. She she knows yeah. the what's gonna happen. Um, and she doesn't have her pentagram yeah. necklace anymore. Exactly that she gave him. Uh, he lost that. Good job. Give it to give it to a girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well she, and there's so much tragedy in this. And when you although when you see him carrying his daughter, you you kind of understand why he might have been rude. You know, this leads to other things, but at, in this moment, all of it's tragic. Yeah, right? But it this this is the the catalyst that sends us fully into the meets Frankenstein part because as yeah. he's pursued, as the crowd, as the mob is whipped up. Uh, again, you know, we have them going this time, although, you know, it is kind of interesting that they're like, well, this time we're going to chase a wolf man. So but we're going to chase the wolf yeah. man to a Frankenstein's monster or, you know, as yeah, the poster yeah. says, to a Frankenstein. Right. Um, and, you know, he uh, is, you know, when he wakes up, uh, he's looking around like, how did I get here? And I guess, the you know, the basement, for whatever reason, has kind of become just an ice house. Uh, you know, it's it's. Yeah below it's it's underground enough that ice doesn't really melt readily i, I buy it I mean, that's fine i mean it it, it makes <laughs> it's cool it's but, cool it's a wolfman in the snow right how cool is it it's so neat yeah and you know his he wakes up and again he you know he's got this curse so he doesn't have hypothermia he doesn't you know fr- have frostbite or anything he's just really cold because he's laying um, in a stream he's in the ice yeah like, yeah oh, it's, i mean geez, he's laying in the cold. snow <laughs> And I, I I love that set piece though the set yeah. piece of the oh, the yeah. basement with where it's all frozen and what is melting and what's not just looks great. Um, and then you know he discovers a frozen Frankenstein's monster and starts to break it out like oh well you know even though That's he doesn't does. has hasn't heard much about it from what as from what we know anyway what we can surmise there's yeah, something this there's is a, a good there's question. also that interesting kind of you know they've decided to make this fate that these two are going to meet yes. not only not just for for purpose for film purposes which is you know how it flows but just there's a and as we see the the story progress there's some kind of uh connection mm. in in their undeath interesting uh, and yeah. in this kind of you know maybe i'm reading too much into it but it just feels that way that that's what we're supposed to get is this the reason he's kind of led that way is not just because hey look there's a big chunk of ice but there's something there fate has brought him here uh to uncover the monster Right. I mean, he just, he's so desperate for answers at this point. Like he's literally, you know, look around every corner and looks through the eye, sees this figure not knowing what it is. And it's a great scene. He grabs a big, big boulder and just starts smashing the ice, unveiling, as you said, Tony, the Frankenstein monster doubled as uh, Gil Perkins, one of the the stunt doubles. So unfortunately, the first glance we get, the first glance we get of the monster isn't even Lugosi. It's Gil Perkins, you know, behind this great sheet of ice. Um, and yeah, you don't really know what, you know, Chaney expects if he knows if the monster can even speak. I mean, this is the first time literally ever meeting this, this monster, but anyway, breaks him out of the ice. And unfortunately, this is probably the first major, maybe the only real major cut scene of the movie. So there's actually a still I put on Instagram of the monster and, and Talbot sitting around a campfire and it's the monster basically explaining kind of catching Talbot up on what's happened to him so he's yeah. igor and he's blind and he's sick and he you know he wants the strength of a hundred men he, he it's kind of the, the trope of the of the ego monster he just wants the strength of a hundred men and just says that over and over again he's basically trying to convince talbert to to help him through helping himself so 
he's still being you know, the, the nefarious Igor mind going to almost use Talbert to make himself strong again. So this is, is that a, all in the dialogue that was cut? Do you it have is. that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That Cause that radically changes my perception of the monster in this film. That's really interesting. I've always thought of that monster as a very sympathetic guy, kind of forgetting that after this and from here on, basically he has the brain of Igor. I mean, they he, almost try to put, Costello's brain in him, but that doesn't work. But so basically, in Abu Costello, brings that he still has the brain of Igor in, in his in his head, which is really no. If you read the dialogue, he <clears throat> he's full on Igor. He is this is fascinating. Evil. He wants power. He wants to squash. Um, he calls them the humans or like the minions. He wants to squash everybody. He wants to be. I mean, basically, if you think of it, goes to Frankenstein. The reason he wants to become the monster because he wants to rule you know, rule the country, rule the world. (sighs) And he still has that mindset. He's just, he's sick and he's blind. So now he needs, you know, use to use Talbot as his tool to get that power back. And this is why this, you know, cutting this dialogue was such a huge loss of the movie because this would have explained so much. It's very interesting because, you know, it's when, when I have thought about I have to admit, this is just kind of hitting me now. When I've thought about the idea of Lugosi's dialogue as the monster, I've always imagined him as doing it as, as Lugosi, as, you know, in, in the D, the D, the D, with his like resonant accent. And that wasn't his voice for Igor. So, you know, at the end of Ghost of Frankenstein, when he's doing Igor as the brain in Frankenstein, he's got that shrill cut off words. The, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. he was doing a voice. So that means that would have been the voice he would have been doing, which. I got to say, like, that's a weird, maybe not harmonious mix with the, the visual and the audio. Does, does that make sense, guys? Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, a weird it also, like, German I, thing he was doing. Ways, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And in some ways, I do think it explains a lot of things once we have that context. But yeah, without that, I, I, I almost want to say that without a rewrite or without, you know, just cutting it, that it does that would change the tone of the movie. Absolutely. A lot because it makes, it makes the Frankenstein monster less sympathetic. Exactly, and and huh. less of a pawn because in reality he's he's sick. He's he's not as powerful, and so in many ways uh, he's more of a pawn until we have you know we get the impression that you know things are going to change once our doctor decides to do what he's going to do. But up until that point, we have a monster who's here. Uh, you know, still around, not by his own volition, yeah. uh, and is in kind of the same boat as uh, our werewolf, our, you know, as Talbot. They have a more of a kindred spirit in that way because they exist as monsters unable to die. Yeah. Well, Whereas something... if you did have that dialogue, you're you're not going to get that. You're like, well, maybe you deserve anything. Like, yeah, you don't you have can't. two tragic characters anymore. Yeah. You have one tragic character and one manipulative kind of powerful right. creature it's yeah it totally changes the movie i mean 100 it's it's huge I mean, not that this monster deserves any kind of sympathy but some of the cut dialogue was the monster knowing that he's weak and almost helpless but fearful that once he's captured he's going to be buried buried alive again mm-hmm. so going back to the point that he's been you know stuck in the ice for god knows how long yeah. And he's not dead. Like he's, he's alive, but trapped. And again, his fear is once he is, if he is captured again by the villagers, he's going to be buried alive once again. And this is what's making him, you know, this, this paranoia within the monster to do to, to crave this power. So he's not, right. he's not buried alive anymore. Well, he's not, is it, is it paranoia? Cause he, he gets buried alive like five times. 
Very alive in the wind. This is the fate of the monster, right? Being alive in in the uh, the sulfur pit in Stun Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, over guess, well, over. Igor, the Igor brain now got buried once. House of Frankenstein, right. right? He goes into the quicksand, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, God damn, bef- the, the, well, trapped life. A, it's never really fire or, or bullets or anything with the Frankenstein monster. He just he keeps falling in and having stuff pu- dump on top of him. <laughs> right, it sucks. It's like how many times can that happen to the same guy? <laughs> I just now next I'm picturing like there's like a I'm surprised there's never a maybe there is but like a monsters kind of thing where he goes in the closet and then all the things in the closet <laughs> fall, fall on him and like he's trapped until the next the episode or like a bunch of pots and pans in the kitchen. <laughs> Tricycles. Oh, this is my fate. Always, always to be buried by things. Um, so, yeah. if we're, so, for watching the I'm movie, afraid of, he's, afraid, he's afraid of like a ball pit. Like I know, <laughs> like, I know it's a ball pit, but somehow I'm going in that. I'm not going near that goddamn thing. thing. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 Chuck E. Cheese on uh, Frankenstein's yeah. birthday. Yeah. He doesn't want to go in the ball pit. I, ref- I refuse to go in that castle bounce house because I know, <laughs> I know, I'm gonna get it's gonna <laughs> deflate. And once again, Frankenstein's monster is trapped. So, yeah, unfortunately, there's a pretty good cut scene. So watching the movie, as we all do with the scene now cut, they basically are now walking through the ruins. So it's Talbert and the monster. And the monster knows where he thinks the diary is. So this is where we get that, you know, the they call it the Lugosi, Lugosi monster walk with the arms outstretched. You know, mm-hmm. lurching back and forth, uneven, and he's he's blind. He doesn't know really where he's stepping. He's kind of bumping into things. So leads Talbert over to this this hidden compartment where they find you know this chest and you know. But basically, if if you watch really closely, you can see Lagosi. You can see the monster speaking lines, but obviously they're yeah you know, they're dubbed mm-hmm. out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just get to look really closely, especially when they take out the box by that bookshelf. You can you can hear you can see him. He says, "Wait for me, wait for me." He's so scared of being being left behind that when Talbot grabs that box and almost you know walks to the other side of the room, you can literally lip read Lagosi saying, "Wait for me, wait for me." How much fun must it have been for? I mean, maybe they had fun. Maybe they weren't having fun. Who knows? Like for for because I don't know how well Cheney and and Lugosi got along. I mean, they did, obviously did a bunch of films together. Um, and you know they just done Wolfman, where you know Lugosi's the 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 old gypsy, and I don't think they had a whole lot of interaction. The characters don't really interact that much in in that film, but now they're back in this, and now he's you know Lugosi's playing the monster, and 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 Janie just played the monster, so he kind of knows what he's going through with the makeup and the padding and the boots and shit, so he can kind of sympathize. Plus, you know they've got the whole drinking and substance thing in common, oh. right? I mean, I, yeah. I had read originally they wanted Chaney to play both roles. Yes. Imagine, imagine that. Like, I'm thinking the drinking oh. and the makeup session. Confusing. And, yeah, right. Oh I think God. that would that would have been. I think Wiser Minds prevailed, and that would have been very hard on 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 uh, Chaney Jr. Oh but um, uh, the the thing we do lose in in like you're saying in the in the the edited out dialogue, uh, uh, Scott, is the idea that you know the funny thing I've I've always thought about this film is that Lawrence Talbot just meets the Frankenstein monster and pretty much accepts him is like, oh, okay. And then they start working together. There's never a moment where he's like, what the hell is this thing? Like, like he's not at all terrified or amazed or whatever. And obviously he, he's Talbot's experience is more than, more than natural. Right. I mean, after everything he's gone through, so he's more likely to accept this reanimated corpse walking around in front of him. But as the movie exists now without the dialogue, it's just like, all right, let's team up. <laughs> like, and it, and no, so- I, I, 
I agree with you. It with again without the dialogue, it does seem rather abrupt. But I I, I always did take it as this fate brought these two cursed yeah, monsters yeah. together. Yeah, and you buy it. I, I kind of like the idea of this strange. We're in this together treasure hunt, right? Team up. Yeah. Because no one else understands, and obviously fate yeah. is fate. Fate is brings them together because it keeps doing it over and over, movie after movie. Yeah. Like we we know that from the benefit of hindsight, knowing that this is going to happen three more times. That that uh, 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 Talbot keeps encountering the monster over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I, I do love this idea that like there's some cosmic force that keeps like pushing them back together, no matter how many times. It's it's wild. Yeah, like the battle of the immortals. Like yeah, yeah, but- interesting. And there are in our own, you know pantheon of 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 you know creatures within this this universal you know u- universe right wow wow anyway yeah i think eventually you know it would lead to kind of a monster you know like we'd see clive barker's meridian right <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. all the monsters you, you if you if you know what's good for you, you kind of will end up and you know fate yeah. will kind of hopefully take you to this place and then we have the kind of the mini version of that here L- look someday we're all going to be very collectible action figures okay <laughs> i'll right. mention I'll mention real quick. So as they're you're kind of going through that metal box looking for the diary, which you know they're unsuccessful finding, Talbot pulls out a photo of of Elsa. So it's a you know very beautiful photo of um Iona Maisie. And and so another cutscene. So the monster, of course, going back to Ghost of Frankenstein playing as the role of, of Evelyn Anchors, um, Lugosi Monster knows her and says, No, I know her name is I don't know if he ever says her name's also, but it says that's Frankenstein's daughter. Mm. She escaped the fire. She'll know where the diary is. So now this is kind of sets them on this. Oh, this so that that's how he figures mm-hmm. it out. That's yes. really brilliant. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. Yeah, it's a very sexy photo she has uh, signed for her father. I just got to say, I, I don't have a daughter, <laughs> but if she sent me a photo like that, I'd be like, uh, we need to have a talk. Dear, dear dad, here's what I've been doing lately. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm a, I'm an Instagram influencer now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. A little I weird. Oh, Good for you, daughter. Um, I hope Scott. Scott yeah, that, that's we, the that's where you get the well. Okay, but you know, just please stay safe. Finish college. Right? Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> stay yeah. safe. You know, be careful. Yeah, Scott. And we've we've neglected to, to we've neglected to talk about uh, one of our favorite people who's who's popped up in the film now a couple times in the mob scene. Uh, I fry. I know. Yes. Dwight Fry oh, yeah. shows up, a slightly mm-hmm. older, slightly healthier, dare we say, looking Dwight Fry, a little middle-aged looking. But Yeah, uh, un- unfortunately, he's like villager number three in this one, you know, yeah. um, far cry from Renfield and Dracula. But yeah, I know, Jim, I did have that in my notes, and I, I, I meant to mention it, but I almost hate to mention it because he, he deserves so much better than this. But I agree. Although I got to say, it's nice seeing him playing, you know, Vasek's sort of the paranoid guy in, in the in the setting of the village of Viseria. And and to some degree, Dwight Fry is a little bit more of the mild mannered guy. So for once, he's not this bug eyed, right. you know, freak. And, and I'm sure, you know, hey, the guy's making a paycheck and he's playing and he, and he gets to play this kind of like, you know, he's all in the German hat and stuff. And he looks kind of more of a worldly or gen- gentleman or at least sane uh type of character but he does get that final line at the end right where he's like he said he was going to blow up the dam but which is great right right but um but but he is uh and then and then he he's the one who they do so while cheney's fallen into the ice and is meeting and hanging out with the frankenstein monster now and they're budding up and everything um the uh the mob has found maliva who was i think searching for for talbot you know after he ran off and they've arrested Mm -hmm. her so now she's sort of in the prison in the village 
uh, while all this kind of stuff is going on. And that's going to kind of play in a little later. Yeah. I mean, just talking to Dwight Fry real quick. He was actually dead like months after this movie was released. Was he? Oh, man. Unfortunately. Yeah. He was he was pretty sick at this time. And yeah, he was. God, I, I can't swear how much longer after the movie was released. But yeah, he did. I don't think he made this year. 1943. <laughs> The character's got a big kind of scar on the side of his, his you know, temple. And and I, I've always assumed that's a makeup thing. I, I assume. I don't know if it was a real thing. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, this movie was released, I think, in March. I think he was dead by, like, November. November, oh, December. Man. Well, yeah. that's a bummer. I wonder if this is one of his last things and stuff. But it's, it's just interesting he got to sort of interact with the Frankenstein monster one more time. Just a little Very bit. true. Yeah. Uh, so this is sort of, I mean, I mean, to me, this is sort of the end of the first act of, or the first half of the film. The film doesn't really totally have acts. I mean, that's kind of the second act is, is them on him, him finding Maliva and getting on the road trip after he's escaped the hospital and whatever. So now we kind of get into really like, we're starting to set up how the movie's going to finale now. And, and there's a big change here, which I do like that, that, um, and Scott, like you said, it's interesting that, that the monster tells uh, uh, Talbot about Elsa, which, by the way, Elsa is such a great name. I, I never even realized. I never made the connection between Elsa, a name, and Elsa Lanchester, which is just kind of, I don't know if that's on, on purpose or not, but I just think it's a neat idea that the daughter of Frankenstein is, is has the same name as the actress who played the bride. But that um, would make sense. And it kind of gives the monster, you know, a purpose. Again, another cut line, like the monster is doing absolutely nothing in, in the cut version I, of this. I agree that he, yeah, he's he, he gets a little useless he's sort of like scenery um and he just exists to rampage at the end which which sort of ended up being his role in the next two films which is which is unfortunate i think the monster always gets kind of the shaft in in these monster mash you know rallies and stuff but um but we do yeah. uh, it, on the lighter note we do get lionel Wild coming in the movie right well it's it's funny to see now you know larry talbert putting away his you know kind of putting on his thinking cap so he's trying to think of what's the best way that he can meet Baroness Frankenstein. And it sounds like, you know, he had called the mayor's office, <clears throat> asked for her phone number. And the mayor's like, right. of course, I'm not going to give you, you know, Elsa Frankenstein's phone number or her address or anything Religious, like that. Yeah. So he basically sets himself up as Mr. Taylor, potential buyer of the realist of the Frankenstein ruins, yes. which, you know, and it sounds like in a very short time, she hops on a train and is now in Viseria, sitting in the mayor's office to meet this Mr. Taylor who, of course, turns out to be Lawrence Talbert with one thing in mind, one purpose in mind, and that's to track down her daddy's diary. And she, I mean, to her credit, isn't the least bit pissed. I mean, she's like somewhat annoyed that I'm sure she's traveled like hours on the train. She's probably lost out on like tens of thousands of dollars. And she's like, eh, whatever. It's okay. I feel like she's probably independently whatever, but you know, Scott, if, if there's one thing we know, it's that Lawrence Talbot can come up with some very elaborate ways to meet pretty girls, right? <laughs> Whether he's <laughs> looking through true. a telescope and trying to buy, pretend to buy some earrings or true. he's got game. He's, he's, the this, anti, yeah. he's the anti David manners. Yeah. But I like this because it, it for about the first time we're seeing Larry Talbot not be reactive to the, his situation, but actually taking, taking the initiative to propel his own narrative forward, right? Like he's 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 using subterfuge, yes, and and all this you know stuff. But um, but we see this more in 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 the following two films where he's taken over, you know, like like responsibility for his own fate. And True. He's, yeah, he's, he's going to do what it takes. He's going to seek out doctors. He's going to yeah. um, and, and it ends up being where he he's basically Dracula's nemesis, and he's like calling Abbott and Costello from across the ocean where he's like, you've got to stop them. Like, like he become, this is him becoming the James Bond is, or something. Yeah. This, this is, the, this is the beginning of Lawrence Talbot 
the 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 hero mm-hmm. aside right. from Lawrence Talbot, the guy who happens to also be a werewolf too. Like there's two like characters the... evolving. In the end of House of Dracula, where he's you know not even a Wolfman anymore, he's like shooting the Frankenstein monster with guns and shit. He's like the monster hunter. He's like Van Helsing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Which is I love it. I love this 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 evolution. So Tony, as the uh, as a premier singer of the group here, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna grace us with um oh no the, the wine song <laughs> Bado Nei, Bado Sadly, Sadly not. I don't think oh. that that's. I would have to. I think uh, I'm not. I'm not as good on the spot for that. So I've not memorized that song, but I do. I do like all again the juxtaposition of this. Everybody else has this wonderful time with this song, and each word strikes to the heart of Larry Talbot. Yeah, and yeah. you know, it, to, and it it is just. It's terrible that that the curse just twists all of these things that everybody else is having fun with. Like yes. You know, we want we all want eternal life and it's gonna be great. And he has seen enough. A man who's, who's been put in a crypt. Uh you know, every every word is just a, a, a knife to the heart. And the singer and, and the singer uh, couldn't be, and the singer couldn't have a bigger smile on his face and the people couldn't be more happy dancing. He just keeps being kicked in the teeth with every syllable. You're absolutely right. This poor guy. And no one would know. And when he says, like, why would you want this? Like, he's he's just yeah. insane. You don't know what I know. If, if you did, you wouldn't want these things. But to, to everybody else, like, you know, I think we all have seen, like, oh, what if we could just live longer and and, and I could travel more and right. all right. of these things. Yeah. Uh, life but, is short. Life is but short. He but, uh, has to murder. Yeah. So th- this is, you know, we, we, we want the benefits, but maybe, you know, would we do that if we had to murder once a month? Uh, I'm sure some people would and some people wouldn't. Um, but yeah, he but he doesn't even have that choice. He, he doesn't get the choice of whether he can murder or not. So right, right, all right. of that stuff that weighs on him and makes absolutely no sense. I mean, can you imagine if you're at this fun festival, you're at the state fair or something, and somebody just starts screaming like, how could you all be enjoying yourselves? You know, like, <laughs> I just want to die. Whoa. Don't you understand? Yeah, exactly. Just like, whoa! Did you see that? He's, you know, I want what I want. What he's having. <laughs> see, see, Tony took this someplace very profound because I was going to say, I think this is Lawrence Talbert's most heroic moment in the movie when he stops them singing this song. Because, <laughs> oh, come because on! This song is everybody so happy. Song is a horrifying thing. No, I, mean, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it's tr- it's true, and but it. It goes, you know, again, it's that thing where everyone's just, it's so easy for a, a normal person within the context of this, this, these movies to think that Lawrence Talbot just has something mentally wrong with him because he acts like someone who has something mentally wrong. And the secret is that that he's tormented, but he's a totally sane person who mm-hmm. is dealing with an insane situation that that nobody else can understand. So he, what you're saying, Tony, is so dead on that the the world or the the the, the, the yeah the world that Talbot is experiencing while the song is happening is completely different with from the world that everyone else is experiencing. He's in his own strange parallel experience, like context, and everything is everything to him is different from the way it is to anyone else who'd be observing this thing, including Mannering who, who shows up and w- gets to witness this whole, you know, fracas. And I think it goes, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but this, this does go to the, you know, kind of quote that often gets you know, put out there that everybody's going through their own struggle. And there are a lot of people with, you know, experiencing many different things at any given time. And I try to kind of, yeah. I try to think about that, uh, you know, when you talk to people, something's odd or, or, or somebody's having a bad time or you maybe get the cold shoulder, any number of things. But, 
you know, the, the experiences, one person's experience and, right. you know, it, but it even transcends that because often people go, oh, that person's really touchy about this thing. I don't understand. Like, it's not that big a deal. It's like, well, you haven't walked in that person's shoes. This is that to the nth level, right? Because yes, there's a man who exists to want to die because he knows if he continues to exist, he will kill. Yes, That's inevitable. So, you know, that this is taken to the extreme kind of supernatural, even more tragic level. But it's it's a an experience that I think, again, we're we're we've talked about this on, you know, I've talked about this several times on Castle of Horror, that horror shows us that mirror uh, that, you know, our reality, it's a way to discuss things that are perhaps too uncomfortable in reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that that this scene, while maybe it wasn't meant to to show that does reflect this idea of everybody is going to have a different experience and that can be tragic, you know, not in the same kind of supernatural way, but it, it's a fascinating and, and you know, something, again, like I said, I try to think about when yeah. there's usually some, I mean, some people are just jerks, right? But also, but there's, there's a lot to context. And I think as we've experienced things over the past couple of years that we're all, we all dealt with. And if you are playing the game along with the show, guys, do a shot because he grabs the guy who does the festival with the new wine singing by the collar and grabs him and shakes him. It's like, don't you want to know I want to die? Like he, he does. He does the Cheney. So, OK, there you go. <laughs> Love it. The Cheney hashtag the Cheney. Now it's so guys. hard being an artist. <laughs> you get all this abuse. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyone ever, everyone ever grab you like that, Tony, when you're playing on stage? No, luckily. With the song you're singing now? I'm not, I'm not that. I guess I'm hopefully I, I hope that never happens. That's the yeah. that's terrible. I'm well, you're not as annoying as right, this guy. either really right or really wrong. But I guess I don't think I'm that punk rock where I would yeah. oh, do right. something that would cause that. Um, also, you don't use accordions in your music. So there's that. Not yet. Which is <laughs> next album. It's like a dare. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so, like. Yeah, I'll, I'll broach that at the next at our next practice. <laughs> so, guys, I, I know this may sound out of the, out of the box. You know, you, what about you know, accordions? You, you know, Tom Waits says a gentleman is somebody who can play the accordion but doesn't. <laughs> I mean, I like he's it. got a lot of wisdom. That's probably one that's up there. It's a good one. <laughs> so, guys, so uh, so uh, just at this very inopportune moment, uh, Doctor Mannering has shown up. Uh, who is again, like we said, like basically tracked uh, Lawrence Talbot all through Europe, and 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 he implies that that he's tracked him by by following like the people he's killed. So there's this like has, has how many months has this taken? How many times did he turn into the Wolfman during their travels that we didn't see during the montage where they go through the models and the matte paintings and the rear projections? And um and he killed somebody. It it, it makes it seem like from one manner he says it seems like Talbot's left a trail of death in his wake. And I don't know if that's really what yeah. we're supposed to meant meant to be able to believe or not. That's I mean that's the way I read it. It sounds yeah. like he's been about four different towns, and yeah, he basically left breadcrumbs for him. You know, yeah, because yeah, he lists these towns, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know, or maybe, or maybe Lawrence Talbot just grabbed everyone in those towns by the collar and shook them a lot. That could <laughs> be. That's what he's referring to. Just everyone, everyone yeah. in town got a concussion, and Marion just followed the concussions. Don, the next thing I knew, the guy was shaking me. <laughs> exactly. Um, don't shake, don't shake a baby. Don't shake the villagers. <laughs> yeah. Neither of those All are Europe. good. Oh man, um, shaking, shaking villager syndrome. It's a thing. Yeah, in yeah. a very opportune moment, 
um, Lionel Adwill, the mayor, has has come up and he takes Iona Masley away and and to dance with her. So Talbot and and Manning Mannering ha- get to have a, sit down and have a like a conversation. And Mannering's like, "Look, dude, you're a lunatic," which is funny. He calls him a lunatic, which you know exactly. Oh, I'm glad mood, I'm not right? the only one. Is that wild? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, love it. I think I don't know if it's to- was totally on purpose on the part of Siodmak or if it was you know just a happenstance. But um, he sort of defines him like you're you're a lunatic. You're a guy who's crazy during the full moon. That's what a lunatic right. basically traditionally refers to what the term refers to and I, uh, he thinks he's dangerous and he needs to come back with him he's 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 coming to bring him in so manuring i i just i kind of always get a kick out of the scenes he's to, to me to me like he's totally trying to cock block cheney like he walks yeah. up so he sees talbot sitting at the table with this beautiful woman and immediately walks up to him. He's like, "You're a fraud. Your name's not Taylor. It's you know, it's it's Talbert." Yeah, you outs him. Police, yeah, police are after you. You're killing everybody. And meanwhile, this like woman's like, "Uh, I just, I don't know." He he could have played. He could have been a little bit more smooth. Like, help her brother out, dude. Like, he could. He he yeah. seems. Uh, but I guess he views him as a killer. He views him as dangerous, and he doesn't want to. You know, he doesn't think he deserves respect or something like that. that changes when uh well well okay so first of all they have this scene and he talks about how you're crazy and you just want to die and all this stuff like that and of course Fazig, the, the the innkeeper is is um standing nearby and he listens and he hears the whole thing it and, is nice and, they and have his an, mustache curls they do yeah he's like the uh the, the pringles guy from the, the yeah. pringles right he does look like the pringles guy. i was trying to figure it out by the way we passed over during the song. He's like standing there and he's singing along and they're talking about like, Oh, the, 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 the bar, the, he's, he's well equipped to drink wine. He's joking that he's fat and, and, and Vasek's like cracking up and everything like that. Didn't his daughter just die? Didn't the I'm wondering why, why is there a song written about me already? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, saying he's having well, a really good time. And like, I, feel I like guess when, the, when you, when there's a festival, you got to compartmentalize <laughs> the new wine. When the new wine festival happens, you got to, yeah, yeah, throw your, your cares away. Business aside, yeah, I guess so. Maybe he's had enough. I mean, life. I guess I, I, I mean, it wasn't like he went, "Hey, we all hope for eternal life." Except this, this poor sap's daughter, <laughs> whose daughter is dead, by dead. the way. Sorry about <laughs> like, that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to trigger you know, warning. He's trying to put on a brave face. We don't know. He may have cried in his beer later. This whole song but, is a trigger warning. What am I talking? Think life <laughs> is short, especially if you're his daughter. But death is yeah. long. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right? Yeah. And really long for her. I love he's carrying a he's carrying a pitcher of wine too. By the way, I know we're trying to get to the end of the movie, and I'm I'm laboring things, but he's carrying a pitcher of wine, so he's he's ready to refill everybody's thing. So, um, but the the plot point being that he he hears them talking about monsters and madness and all this stuff like that, and that that helps propel Vasic along in his obsession with destroying the castle and everybody up in it and stuff. Um, right before we actually get an appearance from the monster himself, which which definitely breaks up the enthusiasm of the participants of the Festival of the New Wine. We do. We have Bella Monster kind of lurking around without, and again, another cut, some cut dialogue. So why is a monster just kind of roaming around? So cut dialogue will show, again, Bella Monster is so fearful of Chaney leaving. He knows Chaney, well, I keep calling him Chaney. But Bella Monster is so fearful that Talbert, he's basically his key to power, his his, oh. his key to health and seeing and strength of 100 men. So he is so paranoid that Talbert has left the village without him. So there's a cut dialogue of him walking out, finally meeting Talbert and saying, um, you know, where did you go? I thought you were leaving. Don't ever leave without me or something along wow. those lines. Mm-hmm. So 
he's basically searching for, he's not trying to terrorize villages. He's looking for Tauber to make sure he didn't leave town without him. Ta- he, right? Talbot is sort of Igor's Igor now. Yeah. Sure. Like he's, he's Igorized him. If, if yeah. we can use that. I mean, we, it's, it's interesting because even with that, we do kind of get a little bit of the sense that he's searching. Yeah. Where's I my, so. where's my monstrous Friend. compatriot? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, he's come looking for him. Yeah, but also, you know, he may have heard about the good wine, and you know, maybe <laughs> you want to get on the, some of that shaking people action. Where too, is that wine? Know? I want some of this good wine. <laughs> I want to shake some people. Yeah, yeah. Right. Where's, where's the collars for me to grab? <laughs> There's some shaking going on. Um, <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you remember, if you remember the monster from Bride of Frankenstein, he did like the wine, right? Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, right. No, he did. Wine yeah, he was all about gin. the wine and the smoke and the smokes, man. Yeah, he he delves into it and gin. Um, um, don't you kind of wish you could just walk into a town square and the entire thing would just, everyone would just flee from you in terror? Like the 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 commotion he kicks in. You really he's just a dude who looks weird and he walks in, but it's just the the village's knowledge of what this person represents, right? Just sends everyone they're diving over tables and falling on each other and stuff. I mean, the entire place clears out like like crazy. It's incredible. Just, I mean, imagine I've been all to the some tall. gigs like that. That's the closest I've gotten. <laughs> where like a, a band clears the room. Yeah. And I think we've we I think we've played I played I played at least one gig where we were that band. Not yeah. because it just like the 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 crowd that was there was not the crowd that wanted to see a Stone Rock band, right? That's okay. That makes sense. So, so they're running for the doors and jumping over tables and stuff. I mean, not quite that, but I have, <laughs> you know, it's never a great feeling. Although, you know, yeah. if I was a monstrous enough, I have seen bands that are very loud and abrasive and it does kind of feel like that, but. Right. <laughs> like like and, Bella. And I usually, I'm usually the one sticking around. I'm like, oh, here's my monster people, right? Let's right, go. Right, let's right. go shake some people together. <laughs> let's go shake this place up. Um, but uh, there, it gives you this amazing scene where where Talbot jumps on the on a wagon full of empty wine barrels and mm-hmm. um, uh, and pulls pulls Frankie on the back of it and they roll out of town and, and Frankie's yeah. rolling barrels at people and stuff. So it turns into like a Donkey Kong video game. <laughs> <laughs> totally does. It's like oh, you just wish there was like one of those bootlegs that you see for like all the Pac-Man bootlegs, yeah, et cetera, yeah. where there's you know at the top is a Frankenstein's monster. You're just on a carriage and you're rolling barrels and stuff. So well, Varzik kind of has like the Mario mustache. Like imagine him with like a, a bit. like a hammer, like go. smashing the barrels. I'd and... love I love rolling. I think here's my pixel guy. art bootleg. In the yep. in the works, oh, I think I think that's I think there's money in there. Let's just with say. The, with the, with accordion music. Yeah, with <laughs> mm. yeah. Did you did you, did you did you you could do that eight bit version of the song? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Perfect. Uh, so the villagers all have a powwow with the mayor and with with Vasic, of course, and Dwight Fry. And, you know, a lot of them are like, well, you know, we need to do something. We need, we search for the monster. We, they lost us. They, we think they're up the castle. We should have a plan. And Vasquez like, we should go up there and kill all of them. <laughs> From the start, he, his, his only solution is just, is, is death, right? Oh, he's had right. enough. Of the other. Right. That's it. And he's drunk. And the mayor knows that is like the only reason I'm not arresting I mean, you is because you're drunk. But yeah, uh, daughter was killed. It's true. It's true. But, it's not like he doesn't have a motivation. You're right yeah, about that. It is very personal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, you know, his solution for death is just, I want some more death. That's well, the only thing that's going to work. Well, yeah. And, and as we, because we have another one of these meetings later on as we evolve. And his, his, 
his solution really endangers the entire town. And Tony, we were pre-gaming and talking about this is his, inevitably his solution is to, is to blow up the dam, which is on the hill above the town. And you get this idea like, well, yeah, that would probably maybe mess up the castle, but you know, what are the chances of it destroying the town? But um, so Elsa agrees to to talk to the, the, the villagers want to talk to Elsa as the last remaining member of the Frankenstein family. Um, and this goes to what you're saying, Scott, about how like they've in their minds, the village has just lumped all the Frankensteins together. And, and to them, it doesn't matter if it's Henry or Wolf or Ludwig or Elsa, right? It's it, they're all it doesn't matter know, stained by the same title. That's right. And the fear, I mean, this is Varsic. I mean, you you got to blame him too. I mean, he's just been spouting this the hate to the Frankenstein. Yeah. I mean, the, the literally they have nothing. Elsa's done nothing to these people, and he did Varsic on and on and on. Don't trust her. She's a Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So. I yeah, feel like I overdo that. Maybe I sometimes overdo the World War II era analogies when we talk about these films. But I will say, you know, Sion Mack was a, a Jew who who hated Nazis. And you do have an example of this German town focusing on one yeah. specific group mm. of people uh, as the source of all their problems, whether that's justified or not, you know, Um and it, and it and I can't help but think it it, it lands pretty safely in, in in that realm of of metaphor. Although it is interesting that they there's the through line here is that this uh, you know the last remaining Frankenstein she's not the one who uses like it's always got to be a guy who's a doctor right yes a guy who's a scientist wouldn't it be great if she was a role. scientist you know wouldn't that have been cool yeah but but it you know it's interesting that she just leads. She leads another man who's a scientist into doing Frankenstein style and Dr. Frankenstein style stuff. And I, I, I thought that was an interesting thing that I didn't really think about in that way, but he fulfills that role. It's this science, this corruption by science. Yes. Uh, from someone who we, you know, who seems like a very caring person then goes, whoa, but what if I, what if I do have the power of of God. Hmm. I was going to say, it, it gives him that taste of power and they talk about ultimate power corrupting ultimately. Yeah. 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 Oh, and Elsa's so they, seen it. She's seen it before. She saw it with her uncle, saw it with her dad, and she sees it a little bit, a little bit at a time with Frank, with, with Mannering, that he's starting to be corrupted by this, you know, this sickness, the sickness for power. Um, yeah. She talks but about it, yeah. she's on to him very, very early. Um, and there's another kind of a quick scene, actually another cut scene. So fast forward just a bit here. So Mannering, um, uh, the Baroness and Maliva are up at the ruins looking for Larry and the monster. And ultimately they do find them under the guise that they're going to help them. They basically, in order to make peace with the village, they want a kind of a peace, peaceful, you know, whatever. I don't know what the ultimate goal is. Basically, um, you know, come down from the ruins and, you know, whatever it is, but they want it done peacefully. And a cut scene from the monster is that, you know, Mannering goes right over to him, sees the monster for the first time. And the monster says to him, you know, Mannering, basically, you know, help me. I'm sick. Can you help me? And Mannering is just staring at him, you know, like a, a, uh, a gift on Christmas morning. And yeah. he just, and he's almost awestruck. He says, I, I'm going to help you. I will help you. And then Elsa, there's a kind of a scene shortly after. It's like, I hope you didn't mean what you said to the monster. Because so, her, her mm. when she says that, that's that's in the film, but we, we right. don't quite get the context of why she she's that's saying right. that. So that does make not a total sense within right. the edited version of the film. Um, I love Lugosi as the monster. I, I'm not sure, not taking away, you know, is he 54? 
four at this point, I think, or my math might be wrong. You know, his his facial structure at this point is not totally suited to playing the monster the way the way Karloff's was when he was 40, right? Or 44. He doesn't mm-hmm. have that. None, there's none of that gauntness and stuff. And the brow doesn't quite hang over him quite as well. But but the clothes of him still look very good. The, the bolts on the side of his neck, you can kind of very much see where the, the latex is glued to the sides of his, his skin and stuff. There's some seams and everything. So, you know, it's like it's like the makeup itself has started to degrade a little bit. This is still Pierce. Yeah, Pierce is there till 45, 48. That's a good question. I'd, I would have to, if you want to well, talk, he, I will look that up. I don't know. He's fired right when they make, he's fired when they make um, the, the, the House of Horrors, which is 45. So this is still Pierce doing is this still Pierce doing the makeup or is this Pierce's assistants doing the makeup is my question. Like, like I'm wondering at what, to what degree Pierce is still actively doing the traditional layers of cheesecloth and collagen and all that, all that really gnarly makeup effects. And at this point in, in the Frankenstein monsters, you know, kind of history with universal is it, it's interesting. Cause I'm seeing, my point is I'm seeing the makeup starting to get a little sloppy on the monster. And maybe that's because so much was being focused on, on Cheney Jr. as the Wolfman, right? I mean, how, you, now you're starting to get multiple monster and makeups and stuff in the same movie. It's starting to get much more complicated. Yeah, so, so Pierce is definitely on this movie. I, I don't yeah. see any photos of him yeah, doing the monster, but def- yeah. certainly him and Cheney. Yeah. Because the monster it does have also a be, you know, timing and I mean, you know, you know about all of this stuff like timing and, oh, yeah. you know, okay, where where is this in the shoot and do we have this going on? I, you know, right, right. These days, it, definitely, I, I I doubt it would be intentional, knowing how good the effects can look and how how good they look in different scenes. Yeah. So I think yeah. we're definitely yeah. looking at a cut where okay, this is what we got today. Good time management and then budget too. You know, budget budget. Budget dictates how much time you have. I mean, the bigger budget, exactly. you have, the time you, <laughs> yes. you have to spend on things because time is money on a film. So you're paying people by the day and by the hour and by the whatever. Um, right. Uh, it's, but it's this kind is of a, in, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say something kind of interesting that I I don't think I've ever seen is behind the scenes of uh, Lugosi getting the monster makeup on. No, and I'm, right. I'm just wondering no, if no that photos is, know anything. No, like if that just has to do with mm-hmm. his. You know the ego, like maybe he just didn't want. I I don't know, but it's but, kind of know, interesting. Just, There's so many behind the scenes photos of like of Boris Karloff, Cheney Jr. Like, oh, these guys putting getting the makeup on, but not Bella. But in the Black Cat and stuff too, like just you know behind the scenes stuff. It seemed like Universal was really good about documenting that behind the scenes stuff in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. And as you get into once the Lemleys are gone and you get into the 40s and stuff, it you see a lot less. Like there's no behind the scenes shots that I've seen of like captive wild women and house of horrors and stuff, you know, they, there's, there's less uh, PR kind of happening on the set at the same time. Like what we would call right now an EPK uh, where you have someone kind of documenting the, the production of the film at the same time you're producing the film and, and getting in the way of the film and all that fun stuff. But uh, um, right. yeah, anyway, not, not I'm speaking from personal experience or anything. Um, anyway, sure. <laughs> So but also, you know, it could also have been it could have been ego. It could have been any number of factors. That's like, why I hey, wonder. This yeah. is not the time for for uh, which could have led to any number of this kind of all of it kind of packaged together at this point. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got you've got Cheney's makeup. You've got Karloff's. Or you've got I mean, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Lugosi's makeup. Then you've got the makeup of the stunt doubles too. And I'm not right. sure if there's some days where they're on the set of the same day. So you potentially have two Frankenstein monster makeups on the same day. Like that would be that seems taxing even for. Uh, taxing for anybody, especially for someone as as fastidious as as Pierce was known to be. 
That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, post Pierce, they kind of had the, the, the full applications it was more of just like with Glenn strange, you know, yeah. it probably took two hours to do strange and probably eight hours to do like Koloff. Well, that, that, this is good. Cause then the Westmore's come in after him and they bring in this, this bolding foam latex process, which is, you could argue inferior to, to the traditional way that Pierce would do it, but it's insanely more time consuming because they can take a mold and they can make a dozen Frankenstein monster heads all at once and then have right. them ready. Right. instead of this process. So it cuts down the makeup time. It cuts down the fatigue and everything. So yeah, anyway, so, but that's where we get into the Glenn Strange years. So I think we uh, basically ready to fast forward to the to the climatic scene here, to the climactic yeah. scene here. So we've got Mannering, you know, at least under the guise of helping um, Talbert, who now secretly is going to be powering up the Wolfman. So we have the traditional um, monsters on the slab. You know the bolts. You know my preference that monsters get the the electric the electrodes buzzing and the Wolfman same thing. So I guess the idea is to suck the life out of, of both of them. But yeah, I mean, entering, yeah, yeah, Tony. That's the, the that's the interesting part is if this works the way everybody thinks it is, it's to to take away life instead of give life. Yeah, uh, because that's, he's read that's about the plan it, on paper. About yeah. it, like oh, if you just switch the poles, then this <laughs> life giving procedure becomes a death bringing procedure, but yeah. also because of that, it will also drain, you know, take away the curse, which means death for Talbot. And I, I still think that that, that metaphor and that switch is, is kind of fascinating uh, that, that, you know, you'd have a way in every, every other instance of this setup, it is to bring life to uh, the monster. And again, that kind of weird nihilism <laughs> that creeps in with that yeah. idea is fascinating even to for me. today that's kind of an edgy concept you know i mean a doctor who's who's there to to bring death to to something that, that yeah, and i think that, that yeah. yeah and i think that especially for the time uh that's a a concept you don't see as much and certainly not in a you don't expect it in a universal horror film i in, right. in this context with these characters with these very iconic characters I think that twist, yeah. it just, this time around, it just really struck me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially in a film which, which you know, by their own, whatever was ostensibly intended for families. You know, I mean, this mm-hmm. this was meant to be kiddie entertainment too. You know, kids were supposed to be able to go see these movies by themselves and be scared and everything. You know, this is this is not something super edgy or something even super arty like like the third band or something like that. You know, this is this is something else. But again, I think that's why they work. I think that's why so yeah. many Universal Pictures work is because as a kid, you could be aghast that the monster would end that this is meant to or even if you didn't quite get it but i think the older you are the the actual ramifications of that mm-hmm. uh especially when dealing with with talbot's you know angst and and uh you know this what this curse actually means uh hits you harder and i think you know the i think the best the best films uh especially family films not everything has to be a family film but a film like this that can be appreciated by uh, a younger audience for its just cool monsterness that can also be felt by an adult in when you realize how life works you know (laughs) and how how the all you know the the subtext of it uh and it can really kind of take in the context of everything it kind of grows Uh, up with you yeah i think that's that the best stuff is that right totally 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 I was going to say, if you're a fan of pen lights like I am in these early monster movies, you got to love it when Frank Mannering, Dr. Mannering flips that switch and also jumps up from bed knowing that something's probably wrong. And you immediately, the camera kind of pens over the monster 
and you got those great pen lights right into the eyes. So yeah, immediately yeah. as the viewer, you know, man, that monster is getting charged like a battery and slowly yeah. but surely getting that eyesight back. I love that scene. He, and he doesn't smile, but he Lugosi kind of smiles at the eye. I mean, there's this moment where he looks over and you know exactly what's going on. Like he yep. just right. he tells you exactly total a yep. mime performance, right? And 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 up there with with anything Karloff did. I mean, he does have a moment or two where he gets to really show what he could have brought to to the monster had he been given that shot in 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 31. It's really wild. It's mm-hmm. great. I mean, he leans back. It's almost dare I say like orgasmic, like he's yeah. feeling that this rush of power you know <laughs> oh, yeah, he's not even stuff he's, yeah. <laughs> he's not even moving but just it's yeah, the eyes yeah. and the lips start to quiver like he's got this like you know thousands of volts rushing through this this yeah. body and then he kind of looks over at mannering and he does he gives him like a smile like you know well and, done you've done it and i'll Which, say that 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 is an igor look that he gives him I oh mean, yeah. that is absolutely mm-hmm. an igor look that's not a Lugosi Dracula or Valen look or something like that. That's an Igor look he does. He's he is playing Igor as the, the brain inside this thing. It's wild. Totally. And, and you know, I think that's again what what we talked about before. Maybe that's the tragedy that he wasn't given more more to do because you could see in this scene in particular, we're all like talking about how all of it comes together and we're really yeah. showing off what like, what he brings to it. You know, uh, all of the stuff we love about his acting is right there. And you're like, oh, why wasn't why was there more of this? You know, which I, I is, think that's 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 a shame. So it's kind of confusing to the next scene here. So basically, Mannering has done what good by Igor or Frank and Igor. So Igor or Frank Frankenstein jumps off the table and then goes after, seemingly goes after Mannering. Yeah. Which I don't really understand. Mannering grabs like a, a wrench, you know, tries to, you know, whack the monster. So Maybe it was the monster just going over to like give him a pat on the back and mannering, you know, misread him or like the monster. No, I think did, it's me, time to take care of scientists yet again. I guess. Like once you get that power, you just yeah, yeah. It's back to it's back to old school business. I, 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 monster. Think, I think so. <laughs> um so then we have we obviously have a cut cutaway to to Vasic planting all this dynamite by the thing and the the townspeople are getting together, the people of Viseria and and um they're like, hey, this this doesn't seem right that there's a lot of smoke coming out. It looks like Cheech and Chong have taken up residence in the uh, Frankenstein's castle. <laughs> there's this huge plume of smoke coming out the ruined tower of it. Um, and of course, just in this moment, uh, as Larry's strapped to the table, the, the clouds part and the full moon comes out and you get this, he gets yep. this look like, Oh God, here, here it comes. Yeah. Poor, yep. poor planning on Mannering's part. <laughs> you know, maybe just a day earlier would have been good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Too late. Um, we, we don't really get a full transformation of, of, of Cheney here. It's, it starts about halfway through and I don't know if they filmed the whole thing and maybe something didn't quite, you know, click. Cause they only had one shot at these transformations. They did it once. And if something went off or the alignment or the camera moved or something like that, they'd have to do it all over again. You can't just, they couldn't just go back and fix it. It was one basically continuous shot that was just done very, very slowly. So yeah. Anyway. Um, and now we have it. We have we have Frankie and 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 uh, Larry, you know, running running amok. And yeah, true WWF mode. And again, we get kind of the juggernaut, <laughs> the monster, the slow moving but uber powerful monster versus you know yes. the, the stealthy cat like um, Wolfman. So as long as the Wolfman can kind of keep his distance and you know use you know the verse the verticality and you know jumping off the equipment and you know can knock the monster over. But the mon the minute the monster gets closer and kind of does that 
you know, the Lon Chaney collie grab, he's toast and kind of chucks the wolf, <laughs> chucks the wolf man a few times. And then, you know, the wolf man gets high and kind of jumps off. So it's kind of a stalemate back and forth. Why, why, why do we think the wolf man attacks Frankenstein monster? Cause he's carrying away uh, Elsa. And as soon as he busts out of the thing, yeah. Chaney as the wolf man, immediately goes right for him and grabs him. I mean, obviously he he attacks him so that we can have a fight and within the context of the film, I mean, we need that otherwise. But I mean, is there, does, does he want Elsa for himself? Is this like a, I think, it's, I like think that's possible. Old gorilla type, you know, territory. Yeah, I think, I think that that's, I mean, the reality is so they can fight, right? Yeah. So of course, <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I think that the, I'm just the wondering con- if we can the, justify it. Like, I think, I think we're supposed to believe that, you know, he might be saving her. He might also want to have to kill her. Yeah. Um, I like to think there's any a part number of, of wolf like yeah. tendencies. Also, you yeah. know, this is where, <laughs> you know, if you're going to say, you know, oh, it should be versus, this is where the meat part turns to the versus part, right? This is where yes. you can yeah. use them interchangeably. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Men hung out. Now it's time for Frankenstein versus the wolf man, yes. which is, you know. So but there's, again, it, there's a justification for that. As 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 compromised characters as they are, these still are the two heroes of the film fighting. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they are for lack of anyone else. Because, and I always talk about co- having codes in, in in characters, and you'll you'll root for a character who has a code and sticks with it, even if that code is a dark code and and you know has evil in it, rather than a character who has no principles. Like you can't really root for that thing, and that's exemplified mm-hmm. by Mannering, who who what when the he does like you said scott and and tony like he gets this little taste of power he surrenders to it and betrays everybody he betrays what he said promised to talbot he betrays what he promised to elsa elsa yeah it's a it's a strange uh, heel turn in general because there's there's just not enough time in my opinion for him to we we don't have enough breadcrumbs leading to that turn yeah, right. it's a staff and switch. It's not. It's not an evolution. That's right. Because he he does care. He cares so much throughout the movie for him to care about power, and all of a sudden go. You know what? I think unleashing this monster uh, <laughs> up on the world, like super strong monster, because science is fascinating, might be a hoot. Yeah, uh, and, and a totally different science than kind of what he's like. He's not in the same. He's a surgeon more than the, you know the the. Yeah, right. Traditional Frankenstein doctors have that. Uh, yeah, okay, I can do surgery, but I'm really into the the physics and the the you know necromancy for lack of a better. Like the, they're, know, they're the they're the bigger picture rather than yeah. mannering. I see what you're saying is is more like a clinician or something. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you nailed it, Tony. This was just that this was a victim of time. Like if this was a two hour yeah, movie, sure. then you have a backstory of him being one of Ludwig's students or so, or like a Henry student and getting a taste. Of well, that. even if he had read it and gone, wow. Like if he, if he right. had more time with even Elsa to, to fully yes. think about, or even, even if there was lines where he, he went, you know, he's like, well, this could lead to a boon for mankind, you know, something yes. that showed his, something. his turn would be a caring. Well, if this works, imagine, yes, you know, I, the good I it could see, do. I yeah. see what the previous Frankenstein's were onto. This this makes sense to me now. Which which is the, which we is don't the, really get any of that. And not that you need that, like yeah. per se. Like I don't have to have everything explained to me. Yeah. But it is abrupt in the in the movie that we get. It is abrupt because that's the justification of all the other sons of Frankenstein. Is like I'm going to fix what my dad screwed up. Right. Even when we get to young Frankenstein, I mean that's his thing too. Is I'm going to fix what my grandparents. Right. It's so know, personal. You know, fix the family name. I mean that was Wolf's whole thing. Was like. You know he's going to yeah. make you know maker of monsters. No, he's a maker of man, and you yeah, know. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna redeem 
the legacy of my 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 you know ancestors and stuff yeah the mannering thing not to belabor the thing yeah it, it, it's sudden and it's maybe the film's achilles heel but we do get this awesome rumble between the monsters mm-hmm. which which you know without this do we have tony like do we have destroy all monsters do we have kong versus godzilla do we have you know freddy versus jason and stuff this is this is our first real like crossover yeah. monster do we do we have uh captain america civil war right i mean you know agreed yeah. I, I'm I'm with you. I think this, you know, yeah. this lays the seed for that. And you know, I'm sure there's there's other kind of there's other monster fighting, but yeah. two icons like and that's what it's exactly. being sold as like, look at like you look at the poster, you look at how this is built, uh, you know, the choice to, you know, maybe the Frank Frankenstein first sounds better, you know, all those choices that are that lead up to this yeah. are, uh, you know, choices made to go, you know, you've always wanted this, right? Right. Like, here's your, it's, here's your monsters. If you wanted monsters, here they are. It's fan service, which is not, yeah. you know, like Kevin Smith says, it's not always a bad thing. Like sometimes fan service is pretty awesome. Give, give the people what they want. And if it's, if it's like, are you team Frank or team Wolfie, you know, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, go for it. So what is it to say about this monster mash? It's kind of a stalemate. And then Vazic, I guess, um, uh, Vazic got sick of all the entertainment and wanted to put yeah. an end to it and lit doesn't that, appreciate it. Lit yeah. The fuse and yeah. I do like this moment where Mannering is is helping uh, Elsa up the hill, and it looks very much like uh, that final shot in in Bride of Frankenstein, where Colin Clive is helping, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, whoever plays. Oh, Valerie Hobson. Yeah, Valerie Hobson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, up the hill, there's a little moment and stuff, and and, and you have the full moon in, in the background and stuff. But these, yeah. I like how these guys. Just I like the irresponsibleness of these these two of uh, Frankenstein and, and and the Wolfman. They're they're just trashing all this equipment, and it's and. <laughs> You know, there's like this, I think when you're, again, we're talking about how you experience this movie differently, different parts of your life. But when you're young, you're just like, oh, they just have the freedom to just, they're just destroying the place. That's so cool. Like, they don't care. I should do that too with my toys. Yeah. Now I yeah. watch it. Yeah, exactly. Now I watch it. I'm like, oh, someone had to build that set and they're hurting it. <laughs> like To me, right. to me, I'm just seeing production value being damaged. It's like it's also, it's machines like, are in know, danger. That's part of why as I as I got a little older, and I wasn't even that old, like probably college, because it, it took so much for me to get my first base that when right. I started seeing people destroying them, right. I'm not that I'm not that punk rock. I'm like, oh, somebody could have had that base that, or that that's guitar. irresponsible. Yeah, right. And I know that that's not rock and roll. I, I like I totally get it objectively because you're you're there to make a scene but eventually right. also you're kind of like you know i've seen this before i think it was at this scad that i saw somebody bust up a guitar and i was just like all right you know, you know? but the, but to nobody there was no crowd it was like struggling musicians can area, use that guitar like, to make beautiful music yeah no right i don't know again like i said that's i i understand that that's not super rock and roll but also like when you've seen it enough you're kind of like oh man yeah yeah, some yeah. student could have had that. I don't know, <laughs> but but this, yeah, it does hit different, you know, when you're like, right. yeah, look at look, they're trashing the the oh yeah. no, look at the set exactly. I'm like, just oh, I'm just wor- I'm literally watching this worried that Kenneth Strickland's machines are going to be damaged and Mel Brooks right. won't be able to use them when he does Young Frankenstein. <laughs> That's what I'm actually thinking of right now when I'm watching this. Um, totally, uh, it is it's a fun fight scene. I mean. <sighs> It does feel like it was maybe a little rushed. I, I, I and not choreographed. Mm-hmm. It's a little sloppy, and I mean, even for 1930 standards, right? Where I, I understand not everything was choreographed perfectly, like the way they you would do something now. Um, uh, but so it's it's definitely it's the two fight and and really 
maybe the sad part is except for these do we get these wonderful close-ups of the wolfman growling and 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 frankenstein monster snarling back at him and like you know bring it you know which is great but except for that it is it's the two stuntmen obviously uh rolling around and 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 tussling in this in this scene i mean the best the best fight pieces of this are the stills like you look at like the poster art is am- yes. is amazing like that does oh, a right. beautiful poster art of, of the monster and frank and sorry the monster and the wolfman yeah like and his shirt's all torn and he's all like ah, like the one you posted yeah you're exactly yeah he's right. got like the fist back right like bop him in the face and then the wolfman's yeah. got the claws out right at clara's eyes out and but it makes um, sense like the wolfman is constantly searching for altitude because i, I he knows that when it, when it comes to strength for strength right he's not going to beat the Frankenstein monster. He's instinctively understands that he's bigger and he's whatever, which is, again, we're, we're dealing with the, the issue of the fact that, that Lon Chaney Jr. is actually taller than Bella Lugosi. So the monster is supposed to be this juggernaut and the Wolfman's supposed to be not a juggernaut. I guess he's supposed to feel a little bit more like an underdog, but in, in, at least not in the, not, not when it's a, 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 a the stunt fighters, but in real life, the Wolfman would be taller than the Frankenstein monster. So, you know, visually you're dealing with trying to set, trying to sell that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's tricky. I mean, I'm I'm glad they, at least the, the awareness was that they have to give each, each monster a strength and a weakness. So they did a good job with that. I mean, you know, it's like Wolverine versus. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. There's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I mean, I would have liked to have seen the Wolfman try to bite him or claw him or a little bit like that. It does turn into a bit of wrestling and stuff, but but it's filmed really fun. Like the camera starts going Dutch a little bit. So, the, so the everything's angled a little bit and everything starts feeling off kilter. And we keep cutting back to the idea, you know, the, the dams burst and all the water's rushing in and stuff and the music's rising. It's, I think it's, it's Skinner's score um, reused from Wolfman and, and you know, what's going to happen and you're still, there's something beautiful about these two. There's, they're sort of childlike, right? The Wolfman is sort of this animal mentality. Now that Lawrence, Lawrence Talbot's mentality is gone for the moment and the Frankenstein monster, although he has Igor's brain, he's 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 still caught up in the fight. So these two unknowing brutes are are going at it, not knowing that death per se is 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 on its way to them. And we do so. It's it's tragic like that. It's wonderful. Yeah, and would it even matter if they knew? Because yeah, they don't care, right? I was already searching for death. Like this is his. Well, that's true. His instinct is to fight. But the Wolfman uh, doesn't want to die. Right, right. Like right. Lawrence Talbot wants to die, the Wolfman doesn't want to die, right? Yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh, Certainly, Igor doesn't want to die because he finally has his power. He finally has Right, his, yeah, right, he can like, see and he can, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but, but nevertheless, the, uh, the, uh, the thing, you know, the water's come down and so they dumped, I mean, it looks like it must have been like a thousand gallons of water on the, on the heads of all these, these, these two stunt guys when, you know, there's the final great moment where the Wolfman you know, pounces on him and then we have all the water come down and stuff. Um, you're like, well, that's just, that's good movie making, man. I mean, that's how you find, you, uh, uh, Scott, we always talk about how these movies sometimes kind of peter out like, oh, well, the end, you know, this one goes out with a climax, right? There's an explosion and a flood yeah. and everything. Uh, I love the fact that it's like they get whacked with like a, like a fire hose and oh, they're yeah. both on the ground and just getting, you know, bombarded with water. And yeah. they're still wrestling. They're like, still fighting. Like, yeah, they don't care. Like two like five like five year old boys like fighting over a lollipop. It's a fight. Like they could not like they're not phased by the surroundings. Like they are just at each other's throat, yeah. which that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful and tragic, and the the music's great and stuff. There's that final cut of all the villagers looking up and being very worried, and then. What Tony, we were pre-gaming about this too. We're like, it's right after the 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 end credits go down. Does the entire village get flooded? <laughs> yeah, like and they all die. 
just, that's what he's worried about. That's what that's what the mayor is like, dude. You can't blow up the dam. You'll flood the town. Like, nope. Got to take care of monsters. <laughs> got to take care Make of monsters. So Vezig, and does Vezig uh, uh, survive this? Who knows? Does he get wiped away with the flood? Let's see. I don't know. I think he tried to get away. So knowing him, but it's uh, yeah, the end. it's a great down. model too. By the way, I'll just say I'll just say <laughs> I really enjoy the model. Uh, of the castle oh it's beautiful it's away by the water at the end it's just it's yeah. just fake looking enough for my tastes uh uh so it, mm-hmm. it, you know high marks yeah no i'm with you um yeah the the fate of the village is unknown at this point we, we never we never hear good, what this area talked about after this so you never know well you could say yeah. vazik was the first thanos to just he's gonna wipe away half right? of the population right? at least half he- Right? The attrition, right? Yeah. But at least we took care of those pesky Frankensteins. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to think that the town survives because honestly, all these people that are so worried about the monster and the Frankenstein and stuff like that, their great grandchildren are going to be raking it in with tourist dollars, you know, in, in the, you know, come the 1970s or 80s and stuff like that. Because that, that's what Transylvania does. I mean, you know, Vlad the Impaler is a huge part of trans of of uh of romania's tourist income i mean tons of people go and visit that place just because of dracula basically so i'm just saying Viseria could have done really well there's some wonderful, tours, yeah. about an amusement park you know yeah um, there's some wonderful youtube videos of the it's not literally called the borgo pass but there's a pass in and right, right that you know it's some wonderful uh youtube video i mean it's a beautiful place too you think of it like this right washed out wars you know war torn you know landscape yes. Yes. it's lush it is beautiful Viseria could have raked it in. They could have had a snack bar with bratwurst on a stick and, you know. Bosnick's Bar and Grill. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. It could be a whole I mean, the, you better go there for the wine. Uh, <laughs> well, that, but, but yeah, I mean, you got to go for the, you know, annual wine festival. Isn't that like going to, to New Orleans for Mardi Gras, though? Like, you go any other time but Mardi Gras. <laughs> Don't go during yeah, Mardi Gras. Seriously. It's a mess. Or, or dare yeah. we say, Savannah during St. Patrick's Day. Uh, people were talking about that recently, and I was like, I, I was, stories. I was recently. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's more than a couple of people. Like, oh, yeah, yeah this awful, is going on. Like, awful, awful, awful. No. So, well, anybody that hasn't seen the next movie, House of Frankenstein, we're not going to ruin it for you, but do not cry a tear. Your monsters, <laughs> your monsters will be back. And speaking of coming back, Tony, I hope you're going to come back and finish up the uh, yes. trilogy with us. Oh, I would love to. This is always fun. It's always good catching up with, with you that's right we got one more one more of the trilogy yeah. so house uh, of yeah whenever whenever you want to like hit me up We're, we'll do it absolutely we gotta we'll complete us here so we'll we'll figure out a time very soon and uh we'll figure out we'll, we'll find out what happened after the dam broke and what happened to frankie and, and wolfie yeah i'm dying to know i'm still i thought that i can't now now that you mentioned it jim i'm sorry this is the way my mind works perhaps it is irreverent but i keep picturing Vasic like surfing down like maybe like escape from LA on, or, and then on the of... Frankenstein monster's body he's using it as a surfboard that would be amazing <laughs> with the really bad like back you know back projection totally totally really bad and and wipe out his playing yeah but with but on wipe out played on an accordion yeah of course with Even Elsa better. with Elsa on the surfboard holding on to those handlebar mustache. There you go. Oh, there my. you go. Oh man. That's quite Amazing. the tableau. And again, I hate I, I I hope that I'm not too irreverent to you know, do know that I love universal horror, but also <laughs> Uh, you know, as Jim can attest, my mind turns towards absurdity in many <laughs> ways. Uh so well, well Tony and I created lingerie battle cattle as a comic book <laughs> in, in college. True. So yes, it was utterly ridiculous. Exactly. Yes. I'm so glad 
yeah that would have been our that would have been our entry to the you know done it to the knockoffs of teenage mutant ninja turtles at the time so if anyone that wants to hear more about lingerie battle battle cattle listen to our house of dracula episode they go into it a little bit in more detail we'll talk we'll talk more about it so tony we'll wrap it up but thank you thank you so so much for taking the time out for you know joining jim and i it's always an, an utter blast just to hang and never mind talk about movies just talk about life and talk about whatever we want to but you're you're a great dude and um just so happy to spend a few hours with you man so much thanks so much oh my one of my final thoughts too i was just thinking you know without this i do wonder if we don't if we would have i think we might have but we i don't know if we would have like the dark stalkers video game franchise you know, i don't know or that vampire or vampire of the night warrior depending on you know which way you want to uh call it but uh you know, there's your multiple monsters versus each other fighting game. But I think, you know, it's these Monster Valley movies that kind of really spurs the imagination to go, you know what? We should have monsters fighting, but these monsters, right? Yeah, Jason versus Freddy, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I think there's a natural thing. It's like, who would win? You know, Superman versus, you know, Iron Man or whatever you have, you know, exactly. Right. right. Who would win? And I think there's, yeah, there's, there's a competitive thing that just, it sparks this. And there's just the, it's just sheer enjoyableness, enjoyableness. It's, it's just um, frivolous in the best way, I guess is, is the way I want to say. So, yeah, I'm so glad yeah. I, from, from the time I read the Crestwood House book, Crestwood House book to, to this, it's, um, well, it's about 40 years or so. <laughs> so yeah. And again, so. that's the beauty though, is there's this trappings of oh you're gonna see these iconic monsters fight yeah but watching it again and again there's so much there's so many layers to it that it's not just uh you know monster wrestling right yeah. no of course of course there's so much more to the film to that than awesome great guys i appreciate it this is awesome cool so fun Take guys care, everybody and uh you know definitely whenever you want me back hopefully the people who are you know your regular listeners also uh in, enjoy me joining you as well uh, that's <laughs> always my hope of sure course and those i'm sure are all are already aware castle of horror podcast tony and um, jason who you've heard on the show drew and julia just a, a great a great pioneers i'll say in uh in podcast horror movie history so love those thank guys you so much. thank you again so much tony jim always a pleasure sir always sir thank you we'll talk soon we'll have some fun later on and thanks, everybody, for listening to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. We'll talk soon. Good night. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Gould. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.